This episode of Watch Out for Fireballs is brought to you by our patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you can join the throngs of people who have uh, decided to support us, like John, who is the guest on this episode. Uh, these are both very fun episodes on a very good game. And uh, if you would like to pick a game for us to do, or possibly pick a game and guest on an episode, this is that's how you do it. You go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Uh, that's all there is to it. Uh, keep an eye out for those slots. Those will open up. And uh, thanks again to John, and thanks to everybody who already patronizes us, and thanks to everybody for uh, listening. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And my name is John Hurst. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And this week we are talking about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is an open world action RPG developed and published by Nintendo for the Switch and Wii U in 2017. And as you heard, we're joined by a guest. We are joined by John. Hey, John. Hey, how are y'all doing? Doing just fine. Super happy to have you here. Uh, John is our first patron guest host. On this show. On this show, yes. Yes. Uh, he is a, a Bonfire Side Chat alum, however. Yes. There you go. So if, right. his, if his voice sounds familiar, um, go back to those episodes. It was during the uh, during the revisit. Yes, uh, so I was on the Dark Souls episode. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, those were a lot of fun, too. Um, yeah. People, I, I think the people who like this show who don't care about Souls, those kind of function as kind of miniature watch out for fireballs for Souls games as well. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Absolutely. It'll be interesting uh, to see if there's any re-listening to those, given the... Uh, I guess they're releasing the game on Switch soon, so I wonder if there'll be some renewed interest. Ooh, people want us to do that. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of questions about whether we could, and not a whole lot of questions as to whether we should. No, that's fair. <laughs> it's, fair. It's well, a, they're they're out there, so yeah, people can still listen it, to them. You know, it's also a thing too, and this is this is so so off topic and stuff. But I just I have this constant feeling that somebody out there, and if if you if you're listening, stop it. Is spreading rumors that there is confirmed like new content, Ooh. or that that's like being really bandied about and there's just nothing like i i can keep it up with this news it's really not there it's just like it's there's a real huge collective wishful thinking going on i think yeah with it. yeah so but that though that is uh dark souls that is not the legend of zelda the breath of the wild absolutely uh, which is what we're talking about this time even though they do share a little bit of dna yeah um which you know let's get it out of the way now as opposed to uh embarrassingly bringing that up and you know, in 10 minutes when we say that it's you know, got some got some soulsiness in there. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that is a comparison that is uh, that is bandied about a lot. Um, also, comparisons to things like Metal Gear Solid five or Assassin's Creed. Like this is a very strange beast for a uh, for a Zelda game. Uh, John, since you selected this title, um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what your thinking was behind uh, uh, directing us toward such a new and such a weird Zelda game? 
Um, I, well, first of all, I'm a fan of it, and it's. I think it's a really interesting game. I think it does have some tie-ins with Dark Souls and some of the other games that folks have liked. And it's it's the continuation of one of the most quintessential video game series. And I think it'll be interesting to look at it, and there'll be a little bit of interest in where it sits in the in the history of Zelda games and and sort of where games are going. Absolutely, and definitely the uh, the kind of future of the series. Oh, you absolutely. Know, uh, this is you know Zelda has been. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about Zelda games. We've only done a little bit of them for for the show, but I've talked a lot about them uh, just kind of on social media and in general. And it's interesting because it is a series that started out being very near to my heart and then has a long middle period of games I don't like. <laughs> um, I, I don't think are very good, um, but they've been dipping their toe back in more interesting things, first with A Link Between Worlds and now with this. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're they're getting it. Yep. You know, yeah. they're getting it. Yep. Like they're, they're, they're kind of figuring out, like, we yeah. can't. Just go to that thing, and as we'll we'll go to um, <clears throat> in the in the lead up to this, um, I've been I've been talking about it again, social media and our Slack and stuff. And this game is, I think, um, I'm really glad you chose it because not only is it interesting for a Zelda game and interesting in general, but it's really it's one of the like games we've done for the show that I feel like is such a near like a near masterpiece game. Mm-hmm. Like it's really good. Mm-hmm. And there's just a couple things that are really frustrating to me because it's one of those bright lights cast long shadows. Yeah. Thing, you know, and, but the things that are good about it are so, so good that it's like an unqualified recommendation. It's very interesting to talk about. It just, it could have been perfect. Like I had, I have this sense of playing this game. Um, I, I played most of it and then started over for the show. Um, I had this sense of just like, man, you, you could have been like, almost my favorite game with a little, with a couple of minor changes as is though. This is a really great game. And I'm, I was looking, you know, I, I liked having the, uh, the prodding to kind of finally finish it because it is huge. Um, you know, you can, you can get lost in it and spend a lot of time uh, with it. And, uh, that, that's actually going to influence our coverage a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, how, yeah. how we're going to pick this up. It, it's interesting. I think it's interesting about game partly because there's a weird question about how and when you finish it. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of a personal choice everyone has to make as they're playing the game um, in a way that, I mean, every game has how many side quests you want to do. Not every game, but a lot of games do. But it really is a game where if you're if you're enthralled, you can just keep playing and playing and playing <laughs> and exploring and exploring. But at some point, you got to make a decision. You're going to kind of go in for the kill. Yeah. And and there's a question about what even constitutes going in for the kill. So there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and for me, it was a matter of curiosity because it is open from the very beginning. Like, you know, you, the, the temptation is there uh, to challenge yourself to run into the meat grinder. Like for me, I had a strategy guide. I had a map uh, that I pulled out of it, and I got a bunch of little post-it flags, and I put one on every shrine. So when I finished a shrine, I could take it down. And I cleared about like one quarter of it, and I was like, I feel like I could take on Ganon, and I totally could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's um, it's actually in, in that aspect of it, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but it's worth worth saying is that in that aspect, the game is not actually that different than like a Skyrim, right. right? Like that's how you play a Skyrim as well. Everyone talks about, you know, you ignore the main quest. You just go off and do your own mm-hmm. thing. The difference being is that the uh, authored content that's off the main quest line is a little worse than Skyrim. And like that's a damning thing to say. But the non-authored content is sublime and better <laughs> than any game that does that. So the actual just wandering around in nature is as good as it has been in video games. So the, the content that is yeah. not as obviously uh, authored. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess um, like the dialogue free content, the, <laughs> yeah. the exploration yeah. for the sake of exploration content. Right. Right. I think is, yeah. is really, really something special and is one of the reasons why this game captured so many hearts. And like, 
even the though you know that part that when I say that that kind of dichotomy between like deciding when you're done is a big part of open world games, mm-hmm. um, specifically like the Bethesda model uh, of it. It's never been presented in a Zelda context. No. So this game gets a lot of kind of credit because and and because it is uh, a well-worn and very well-loved franchise that was stale as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like you know, you put. I mean, this, not everyone agrees with this, but like I, you know, like I, I can can think of infinite games that I'd rather play before Skyward Sword, right? Like there's these very talky, handholdy, uh, very linear kind of games. Um, that they are and and taking that formula, doing that same kind of iconography and some of that kind of charm and those aesthetics and production values that you're used to with Zelda and presenting it in an open world context is very special. Like it ends up being yeah. more than the sum of its parts. And it's also a part of a narrative about Nintendo itself kind of being willing to look outside of its own history and its own creations and borrow mechanics or setups or conceits wholesale and apply their own spin to them. Right. This is. You know, for as for as grandiose as this game is in scale, it's also a bit of a, a bit of an exercise in humility for them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean that, yeah, this is this is now recently like Nintendo is kind of recapturing some of that adventurousness, you know, um, and not just they always have that reputation for that. Um, you know, when they do something like the Wii U or the Switch, it's like oh, that's that's incredibly adventurous as far as hardware, but the software has been a little bit stale for a long time. Right. Like the 2D Mario games are all pretty samey, even if I really like them, mm-hmm. you know, and the newer 3D ones have been a little bit samey. And even Odyssey is their take on like a Mario 64 formula thing with a little bit more so. But it's it's still fairly samey. And I feel like this and the the new uh, Metroid game, which I haven't played yet, but I've seen a lot about and it's sitting on my shelf waiting for me, is at least them kind of and Link Between Worlds, um, you know, is them trying some new stuff with their their old properties. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome to see, and awesome to see them be rewarded for it too. Yeah, because you know? this 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 won all the awards. Yeah, I don't know. Is it okay now if we talk a little bit about? And this is sort of off topic, but I think the fact that this was a release title makes it even sort of more impressive. Um, it also mm-hmm. the hardware is important to talk with about this game because this was a release title for the Switch, as everyone knows. But the the Switch has become has become massive, and I think this was a big part of it. Yeah. Um, because it showed off that the Switch wasn't going to be a glorified Android mobile device. It was going to be able to play a AAA title in the Nintendo kind of sense. Um, and it really makes it even more impressive. And I think it adds a lot to the game. It makes it more portable and fun. And I think it's kind of introduced people to that system. So I think it's it's deserves credit for that as well. Yeah, I can't, oh, yeah, absolutely. I can't say enough yeah. praises for the Switch, honestly. And that's so yeah, universal. It, I mean, if you listen to, you, you know, obviously I listen to you guys, listen to a lot of other podcasts everyone everyone's just in love with the system and i think it's it's people don't didn't understand how bad they wanted the portability until they had it (laughs) yeah i mean really i mean a lot of people were hardcore pc gamers and were very serious console gamers pc gamers and i don't think people realized how much they wanted this portability until it was an option for them yeah well and one of the weird things with that though is just that like i'm a i've had every nintendo portable system like pretty much (laughs) and i and i love them right like so i love my my 3ds which is obviously a portable system and i really like it just the difference I don't even know how much of it is about the difference in, in hardware power, which I know that's a big part of it with this game specifically. Um, and so much as just the kinds of games. Like I think that the yeah. big difference for the switch is that they're non portable style games. Yeah. You know, it's not so much like it is, it is more powerful. I think that that only matters 
in certain situations. I think it's more that the type of game that's coming out yeah. is much more of like a, a non-portable style game, like games that wouldn't show up on the 3DS are showing mm-hmm. up on there. And that just makes a big difference. Like I haven't docked my Switch since, you know, since I've lived in this apartment. Like, it's ex- exclusively a, a handheld system for me. And it's really, really nice to have these like big kind of bigger game experiences, you know, like AAA style game experiences you know, in that, in that context, yeah. like again, that you're kind of shadowing that the whole thing about breath of the wild, which is taking something that is again, kind of a formula that, that is piecemeal, that is parts of other games or that has been done maybe not as well, but done in other series and then kind of recontextualizing it. Yeah. So, yes. It, yeah. The, the, the stuff that is coming to the switch, it, it is developed. It starts out without the kind of baked in compromise that I think came to pretty much every other portable first title. Um, you know, that was developed before the Switch was a thing. And I mean, have, yeah. having a full Zelda game, which for any other console, the Zelda games define that generation for uh, for Nintendo to a certain extent, you know, especially among kind of our set. Um, and just coming out the gate with a fully featured Zelda game that you could play on an airplane is, you know, historically significant. It's very smart. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. We, we kind of hinted at this, at the, the scale of this. So the way that these episodes are, this is going to be two parts and we're going to break this down in two episodes. Um, one kind of covering generalities and systems um, and the second covering the, the main quest line, you know, the story, the kind of boss fights, dungeons, things like that. Um, and this is, this is a little bit necessary because one thing that we want to get out of the way as a caveat early on is one, um, we're not going to cover this at a, at a one-to-one ratio. Um, we're not going to cover every shrine, you know, we're not going to cover every encampment you know, of, of Bakalins, like that would be, that would be too much. And it would also, nobody would like that, you know, because there are a lot of things that are more dynamic uh, in this. We're also probably going to miss a couple of things because this is a really, really huge, complicated game. <laughs> so we're not going to do it on purpose. Um, we do want to hear from you. If we do miss something, you know, write it in, uh, but just know that we're aware of that yes. early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, do, um, so let's let's get into it. Uh, so in this game, as as obvious, uh, or as you generally do in Zelda games, uh, you play as Link. And you are playing on this massive continent. Uh, this version of Hyrule that is, um, like, we've got it, you've got to notice it's post-apocalyptic, and the game kind of presents it as such. It is somewhere between post-apocalyptic and, like, an actual verdant paradise. Yep. Um, everything's pretty much <laughs> fine, actually. Yeah. Which is one of one of my my contentions of, of the theming and, and narrative of this, which we'll get to later. But mm-hmm. everything is beautiful and fine. Yeah. But yeah. something bad has happened so long ago that it, it's pretty much the, the post-credit scene of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> yeah. Everything is you know? being reclaimed by nature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I absolutely I think it is a little off putting when they describe it consistently as the post apocalyptic world. I'll defend it on for the reason I think Cole's leading to. Um obviously our typical sense of what post apocalyptic means is fallout. Dead woods, nothing alive, and mutants, <laughs> you know, yeah. or destroyed buildings. I, I'll defend it a little bit in the sense that if you think in it's kinda weirdly realistic in the sense that if you think of what's the most equivalent nowadays of a post-apocalyptic world, if you go to Chernobyl today, mm-hmm. it's not a wasteland. No. It's – the nature has retaken everything. Oh, yeah. Same with uh, yeah. Fukushima. And so a way it's logical, but it, it the it's not just the nature part of it. It's a beautiful, uh, verdant paradise. The But the, the way the population lives there, it doesn't – there's there's no sense of post-apocalyptic except for they talk about it. Yeah, that, that that's that's more my point. 
Like it, yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, I, I, I like that we're not dealing with a big gray ashen, you know, crumbled buildings and fallout yeah. again. Like we have fallout for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just that set like tone, <laughs> right. I guess yeah. is, is my point. Like there's, it misses yeah. that post-apocalyptic tone quite a bit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You just get the sense that it had built up to a higher level of sophistication. The calamity set them back. And now the majority of the infrastructure has fallen in, into disrepair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set, set like parts of it back. Yeah, you yeah. know, like there are parts of it that are just like super, super fine. But we'll get yeah. into that. That's me getting getting ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, I'm happy that this is a green and verdant paradise because this is a fucking beautiful game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like beautiful. Like presentation wise, I think this is impeccable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, that's a graphics and sound mm-hmm. and game in you know the kind of polish and how it feels in your hands. Like all of those things are are pretty impeccable. Like are really really hard to to argue with there are a couple of like system things that are that are numbers that are a little bit uh yeah. peckable i guess <laughs> uh, that i can peck um but actual like how it looks and how it feels is impossible to argue with yeah like, it's it a beautiful is, game absolutely a part of it is obviously it's mostly out in nature breath of the wild but interesting thing they did is you can you can screenshot this game at any time which isn't that uncommon these days but i've never actually bothered to do that unless something funny happened in a game Mm -hmm. but i actually had moments where i was just like wait i gotta take a picture of this (laughs) it was just i mean it was glorious Mm -hmm. um the music is amazing the sound is amazing it's the the quality of that is off the charts yeah it it does extremely good work with that yeah yeah. So we talked about this being wide open. You know, Skyrim is a comparison that's made Metal Gear Solid five uh, with outpost clearing and things like that. Uh, that gets drawn as well. But like this is a wide open game and you can rush to the final dungeon. You know, you're going to you're going to be creamed, but you can try at the very least. And speedrunners do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not a speedrunner. So. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Unless you are, in which case. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, speak for yourself, Cole. Good on you. Um, <laughs> I'm just playing the odds here, Gary. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah. So so you you ha- you are open to to kind of do this in whatever order. The game does give you some direction mm-hmm. um, initially, and uh, then kind of lets you loose yeah. after that. The game gets so um, much credit for like leaving you like, hey, just you know, kicks kicks you out of the nest, the nest like a baby bird. There are a lot of rails here if you want to follow them. Yes. Yeah, it, it for for a long time actually. Like yeah. there is a way to do this game where you do the four uh, kind of dungeons, uh, which we'll talk about, that are lead up to the end boss, and you will be strong enough by the end of those four if you kind of do shrines on the way mm-hmm. um, to beat the final boss. Like that can be the game for you. Yeah. Um, the uh, and it it's it kind of plays into the difficulty of the game because you know when you said uh, you did a certain number of shrines and you're like oh I feel good enough to take on Ganon and you were. Um, it's kind of up to you how strong you want to get and yeah. you can get uh, strong enough um, either in terms of avatar strength or player strength that the game isn't always balanced for you. Um, you know, some of those things are a little bit static within dungeons. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of systems we'll talk about that do kind of scale difficulty. It's different than, than Skyrim does or other kind of open world games, but there's some difficulty scaling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do everything like the end game is going to be a pretty much a cakewalk. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the dungeons will will be a cakewalk. So it is up to you to determine not only the scope of the game you play, but the difficulty. It feels like the difficulty is made for you not to do everything. And there's a little bit of just, and this isn't really a critique of the game. It's just a, a truth of of how it is, is that the rest of the game world is so enticing. It is so enticing just to kind of explore and check out what's on top of that mountain that it's almost hard not to get too strong mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in this game. You know, I think the game is made for you to do about a fourth of the content, the dungeons, and then scoot out. 
but it doesn't you know, I don't think that's going to be many players' experiences. And it never stops you. It's not like Zelda's ghost appears and says, "For fuck's sake, come get me!" <laughs> doesn't, like, doesn't set a timer. He's back, Link. Slow down here. Link, you don't need that many swords, Link. <laughs> or, or the classic, um, uh, what's the game you guys just covered, uh, Witcher, where they they basically scale your uh, your your what you gain from it based upon your experience when you do it. They don't give, <laughs> yeah. they don't give you a 10th of a heart when you've done the, done the shrine too many times. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd have to just continue. That would be, that'd be, rough. I got a quarter of a soul orb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put these in the pile. <laughs> Did, uh... The flip side of it is you do get overpowered, but it, it, you also feel like you are an empowered character later in the game, uh-huh. you start off feeling very weak and very vulnerable. Oh, to yeah. oh my gosh. I died yeah. instantly so much. <laughs> trying to balance that, right? It is, it is a tough, it is a tough game. And that's something else that this game gains in being within the Zelda context. Mm-hmm. If this game just kind of came out on its own, um, it'd be like, okay, this is, you know, balanced for video games, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit like a slightly tougher than usual video game, but that toughness stands out in huge contrast for it being a Nintendo game and a Zelda game, because mm-hmm. You know, mo- modern Zelda games, like Zelda hasn't really been hard since Zelda 2. Right. Uh, you know, Majora's Mask is difficult for other reasons, like not necessarily yeah. mechanically, but kind of like psychologically. It's it's conceptually uh, difficult. It's conceptually yeah. difficult, you know, and just kind of balancing everything. But the consequences are very, very low. Like you don't die a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can play, you know, I can pretty easily play through a lot of Zeldas without really dying. Um, here you, you die a lot and you're given a lot of tools to circumvent that, which we'll talk about, but mm-hmm. you can... The, that first kind of shock of like, oh, the the enemies are going to actually kind of like pay attention. Like this is going to require tactics or an approach or, mm-hmm. or something like that is takes a little while to get used to and can contribute to like a pretty huge difficult uh, difficulty experience. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. And that carried through for me for pretty much the majority of the game until I started getting end game gear. Honestly. Yeah. There, there's a lot yeah. of uh, player avatar stuff, too, that will circumvent that. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, like learning how to and that's where the Dark Souls comparisons come in, like mm-hmm. learning how to parry and learning how to do perfect dodge in this game makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's how you're going to take on these things that are, you know, seemingly impossible yeah. early on. Yeah, um, you know, it's how you fight Lionel's. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, like you don't have to fight Lionel's ever if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But if you want to fight Lionel's, you got to learn those things. Cause yes. Because otherwise, there's nothing you can do. They're monsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. Uh, yeah, they're, they're extremely difficult. So uh, we've got this uh, notes kind of broken down in different sections that we're going to do to talk about these generalities. Yeah. Um, right. The biggest one, kind of the newest system and the thing that a lot of the distinctive things about Breath of the Wild are pin- is pinned to is the addition of stamina um, and the implications that has for navigating the world. Yes. Um, this is a hugely vertical world. Um, you know, this is, uh, by no means a flat plane. Um, and in order to climb, uh, which is another new verb, uh, you can climb almost every surface, uh, excluding things that are absolutely flat, which are signal. And those tend to be limited to dungeons. Right. Um, other than those, you can climb and, uh, to climb that drains your, drains your stamina. Um, so as your progression through the world, uh, kind of goes, you can increase your stamina. And as you do so, uh, you can kind of increase your your ability to range vertically. Yeah. Uh, things. Uh, you can find gear that makes climbing a little bit faster. This was one of my kind of main complaints was that timing is very time. Uh, climbing is very time consuming. It, it can get really frustrating, especially we'll talk about weather here in a minute, but that can get frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and the way I always took that is like, if I can't make this, you know, and sometimes there'll be resting spots. You mm-hmm. can also, 
you can time your little if you uh, jump when you're in the red, you'll get like a double length jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can time things. You can eat. You know, there's a lot of things you can do to kind of uh, uh, circumvent or not circumvent. Uh, augment this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you uh, if I couldn't climb something, I kind of just thought of like, I'm not this is this is my meat wall. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes to your point, though, the time uh, kind of investment to figure that out can be frustrating. Yeah. Because it's not always easy to read something visually and be like, I can't get up there. Right. You know. Yeah. And a, lot but of a huge part stuff. of this, a huge part of this game is a traversal puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very little you, I mean, even early on the game, if you're willing to think it through, there's not a lot you can't climb. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you have the right resources and do the right things. And by the end of the game, you can climb anything um, yeah. Yeah. given the stamina you built up. But it, the game is largely a traversal puzzle. And as you said, they've done a lot to make it interesting you actually can stop at any point in time and you no longer lose stamina. So you can think about where you're going. And as you said, the key is there's, you can do that jump right at the end when you're about to lose your stamina and, uh, and kind of have that cliffhanger moment of, am I going to make it? (laughs) Thank you for referencing cliffhanger because I would. (laughs) The, um, it's really interesting. It's important to talk about this when you talk about it as a climbing puzzle, because so many games present themselves as such and they're bullshit. So like if <laughs> yeah. you were to play something like um, fucking uh, Drake's fortune or what have you, or the new Tomb Raider games, mm-hmm. um, those have climbing quote unquote puzzles, but there is a prescribed way to go through them. Yeah. It's more just about, you know, following a very linear path. And that is very frustrating because it, your character looks like he's doing something awesome. <laughs> the player is not You're right. You yeah. know, like climbing in those games is very lame. Uh, I think I get really frustrated by those here. It is free. You know, it is, it is like an uh, open kind of physics based thing. Like you have this mountain, you have different ways you can approach it. There was design that went into it to make sure you can get up there or make it difficult to get up there. But the player is coming up with their own solution. Yeah. It is a much more kind of player focused as opposed to avatar focused level of accomplishment. It's about learning to read the surface, right? Because, you know, it'll be subtle, but there will be contours that you can just barely stand on. Yeah. Uh, When you can stand, you can regain your stamina and make another run. Yeah. 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 Um, It's, it's really cool. Like the, the being able to climb everything is this game's uh, kind of one of its two uh, big mobility hooks. Right. You know, a lot of times these kind of big open world games like this tend to have that, you know, like your just cause or what have you has like a hang glider or they have a jetpack or something like that. Like climbing for being as simple as that is, ends up being actually a huge part of this. Yeah. Um, and makes you, makes you value stamina. Like stamina is used for other things as well, but this is the main use for it. Uh, you're going yeah. to have, and it, it's weirdly enough, like as for as hard as this game is, you know, as we mentioned, it's very difficult in the early game. Um, you might be hungry for those hearts, but you're also hungry to see what's over that hill. <laughs> and uh, it made me really prioritize stamina mm-hmm. over this, which yeah. I was really surprised to do. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is it may, it must have been a real game design challenge because they can put important NPCs in a certain spot. But if you as the game player have decided, I'm not going to go between these two mountains, I'm going <laughs> to climb over the one on the left. You could miss yeah. important things, but they do a good job making, you know, some of those things aren't really that important. Uh-huh. They, they do a pretty good job kind of putting a place marker on things you really need to see. But th- I mean, they're probably still things I've not seen like significant areas where I've just always gone around them or I decided to climb this mountain rather than that mountain. And at that point I could warp around and it didn't matter. Yeah. Like yeah. the, like the big one for me when I initially played this before I restarted to play for the show was, you know, the opening plateau will kind of like guide you and nudge you to this forest cabin where you can do a quest to get the gear that will keep you warm. So you don't lose health in the, in the, in the cold for one of the shrines you have to go to. We'll talk about weather here in a minute. 
Um, I decided to get saucy and I'm like, no, like, I'm just going to take this as the crow flies. I'm going to, I'm going to climb, you know, just basically directly to everything I want to go to causing me to miss that stuff that would have been nice to have. Yeah. 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 And, and that's one thing, I mean, there's a double edge to that too. So the game does a good job of pointing that stuff out as you get further and you get off those initial kind of training wheels quests. Um, there are things that you can do that are off the beaten path that deal with kind of written content, narrative content, this that are very, are equally useful mm-hmm. to the, the warm doublet. You know, if you want to uh, get different items that kind of give you special abilities, there'll be side quests that give them to you. Um, this is again, getting ahead of myself, but I don't like the game doesn't signal very well. What of that stuff is going to be interesting and worth doing. Um, yeah. There's a lot of times you can do that stuff and get a fucking baked apple um, at <laughs> yeah, the end yeah. or, or get like, or a rupee, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I have unlimited money because I can mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't need your money. Um, and that ends up actually being a little bit frustrating to me early on. It's really masterful. And then as the game kind of goes on and opens up that little bit of, you know, I keep on to say authored. I don't mean to imply that the whole thing is not authored, but the, the part that are not player directed, the, the developer directed parts get a little bit cagier and a little like lower in value, yeah. you know, and, and we'll talk about that kind of probably in the summation of this episode, because there's a big thing where there, there's a conflict between that open kind of player directed experience and this being a Zelda ass Zelda game, yeah. you know, it's like this, this person wants me to go collect a flower to get 10 rupees, you know, and, and, and that stuff doesn't fit in very well. Right. And I think that the game is a little bit lesser for that. It's one of those things that makes me feel like it takes a little bit of the like 10 out of 10, you know, all time classic shine off of this. Yeah. Um, you know, but sometimes it's good. Like sometimes you do that and you get like, Oh, like I got this, this set of clothing that lets me see enemies health. Like, that's great. Yeah. You know, I, I want that. Um, but, you I, know, I got some rubber no pants. To... Yeah. I, I love these rubber pants. I've been going door to door selling rubber pants. Um, you, you get those, those, uh, those, uh, those fine rubber pants and, and you're, you're really happy to have them. Uh, it's a lot like, um, the, the comparison I think I made and we were talking about some other game, but it's like, um, imagine like playing Russian roulette with a Gatlin gun, you know, like there are so many quests and so many NPCs and the number of ones that will give you something useful or tell you something interesting are very few. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're spinning a huge chamber yeah. to get there. And that ended up being really discouraging to me. Ah, uh, this one's this. a baked apple. Yeah. This, the, oh, <laughs> damn it. I got the baked apple, you know, <laughs> um, that that would happen with some frequency. So that, yeah. that'll that'll come later. But it just it ties into that uh, that direction that the game gives you in terms of navigation. Um, the other big kind of movement conceit is this paraglider uh, you get. You can't get off the uh, the tutorial. And like we're going to talk about in the next episode, the tutorial, which I think is one of the finest tutorials in gaming um the, the plateau um yeah absolute like undead berg level tutorial area um you get this uh paraglider which also uses stamina but allows you to uh what it says you can glide yeah. from high surfaces and this actually cuts down travel time a lot um allows you you know gives you a good motivation to get to these high mountains because mm-hmm. you can actually make a huge you know take a huge chunk out of your journey bypass threats things like that right up on thermals that'll raise you into the air so you can see the full majesty of hyrule below you yep you can use in combat um the paraglider is really really fun it's super fun and it makes the climbing makes it fun without it the climbing would all be absolutely intolerable and i like but without the ability to get to the top and be like i'm coming back down yeah it just you know everybody like it's the the mountain without the ski lift you know it just Um, you have to ski up the mountain as well. Um, it'd be a huge bummer. So <laughs> the paragliders, yeah, this is like cross country skiing for me. Um, yeah, the the paraglider makes it work and is also has so many applications. 
you know, it, it is a, a versatile tool used in combat. You can use it in, uh, in puzzle solving. Um, you can do a lot of things with that. Yeah. Real good. Um, out of the movement things, I think the least one is the, the horse system, um, which I almost never used because there's so much verticality to this world <laughs> that I didn't see the point. And were you, were you big into horses, John? I mean, I wasn't, I did a little bit of, oh, I'm huge into horses. No, I did a little bit of collecting, um, just to, just to experiment with it and see what it's like. I did a little bit with the amiibo support. And so I got the Epona, which was fun. And there's some things you can do. Um, are we going to talk about DLC? Um, Um, I have, I have a note for it. I didn't do the champions ballad. Um, but one of the things you can get in the DLC is a, is I believe it's the ancient bridle, Mm -hmm. which, it makes your horses have better stamina. And that's something to talk about horses. They have speed and they have stamina. And these are kind of depend on how rare of a horse you capture. Right. But one of the things you can get in the DLC is the ancient bridle, which makes it so that you can, um, what's the game? Red dead redemption. You can call the horse anywhere. Yeah. One oh, of the most frustrating perfect. things. Yeah. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Cause one of the most frustrating things in this game is you can call your horse, but it has to be close. Right. Which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which realistic. is realistic, it's, but really dumb. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. Cause the horse will teleport. It's like, the horses are like boxes in resident evil. Yeah. Yeah. Like your horse, you register will be at every stable in the world. <laughs> uh, you know, so it will teleport around, but not to you. Yeah. You know, not yeah. when, not when you whistle. Um, and yeah. that's another reason why I didn't really use them. Like I was very excited when I first got to the horses. I was like, Oh, this is getting great. I'm going to name this horse Roars and, I'm going to, I'm going to have a Roar's horse and then, you know, like War Horse too, Roar's yeah, horse. Yep. Um, and then, uh, but immediately, as soon as I left that, that area, I'm like, I, I got mountains and, and rivers to do, man. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't bring my buddy here. Yeah. Like this is, this, this game isn't made for horses. I think, you know, I think that it, it makes sense to have them there and people love that Hyrule field, uh, kind of Epona feeling, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, and, and combat on horses is very fun, but oh, yeah. Yeah. it's, um, it's just, I just didn't find a whole lot of use for them like the world and design for them yeah, well that that's true They're like, <laughs> yeah. <not sad. laughs> um and there's and there's a way to bring back horses but um your horse can die which kind of the first you know I, everyone tends to hoard i'm sure you guys do the same thing you, know, you end the game with 50 potions well you get your horse you get the horse you want you get him you know you've got the right speed you got everything you want and then you're like well i'm not going to take him anywhere what if he no. gets hurt yeah, exactly like yeah. And eventually you can, yeah, you can, you can bring him back in a pet cemetery esque kind of fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you also have to find that. Like a lot of players will get through the whole game without finding that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you, people think that you're joking about the pet cemetery thing. Nope. nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, but yeah, so there's three, three movement systems, two of which are unqualified, amazing successes. Yeah. It's a, it's a game uh, that wasn't built for horses, but it was built for mules or goats. Yeah. yeah. That, that would have been. Oh, give me a give me a battle goat, <laughs> a por- or porna, right? <laughs> what? Depona. D- D- like I was trying to think, well, not necessarily like in a porn sense, like um, no, you right. know, like peas and vajudus, but I mean, like in a uh, just a, a the wrong name. Oh yeah, like yeah. like the off model. I guess I, that, that's me saying that I think that a goat is an off model horse, <laughs> or a donkey is like an off model like worse horse. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know how uh, biology works. No, <laughs> apparently. I don't, there's <laughs> like there's like kingdoms philias and then there's just like the dumber worse version a copy of a copy shitty version that is a mule you know like, look at that shitty horse hi i'm the best you got <laughs> yeah f pona like yeah. um the, the the robot epona e pona oh sure yeah that's the only joke i have for names for speaking that speaking of pet cemetery who's the car- scariest character in pet cemetery cole 
Man, it's been forever since I've seen Pet Cemetery. Is it Zelda? Oh, is there in the attic? Yeah, huh? Right in the attic. Isn't Zelda the character that lives in the attic? I think so. The, the yeah. sister, what have you, with the uh, the bone? Yeah, condition. I think so. Sorry, like it was the, just the... I had to come back to that after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because scary church... character. Yeah, it's you a think scary church would be scary. That... Oh, you're yeah, probably right. Is... you're probably right. Well, you think so, but like I can't get be mad at a big gray cat. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't yeah. care how murdery it is. It's still sweet. <laughs> yes, sweet Zelda. Zelda Golden. Yeah. Huh. Well, shit. That's the third most famous Zelda in the world. The second being the daughter of, um, who's the Robin actor? William. Yeah. yeah, Robin Williams. There's yeah. a Robin Williams yeah. tribute in this, actually. Yeah, that a, is true. That's true. And yeah. he's modeled after him. Um, so. Let's talk about physics and weather. Uh, not in general, but in this game. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, just about the world. I was just making yeah. some observations, right? Writing some REM lyrics about how things yeah. fall or rise. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a full weather system in this game. Right. Uh, and it mostly governs uh, your outdoor activity, uh, specifically things like climbing and combat. Yes. In fact, I think there's a there's a little thing on the screen that tells you what weather's coming. It's like your forecast, yeah. Yeah, it's a forecast thing. <laughs> and, and the problem with weather is it is the single – well, let's talk – can we talk about rain? Yeah, let's do that yeah, because that's look. a – I got a bone to pick. I think a lot of people who've played the game do. Yeah, climbing, which is a central part of the game – becomes essentially impossible when it rains. Yep, because um, you, you can still sliding. sort of hold on to things, but then you start to slip, and it, it's it's sort of become its own meme about the game. It invariably will happen when you're in the middle of climbing something you've never had the chance to climb before. Uh, you feel like you're at the verge of something really important, and I'm sure this is psychological. And it'll start raining, and you will lose the ability to climb, which is your central form of traversal in the game. Right. Um, and it is a it is a major frustration. Uh, I, I'd like to try and defend it and say, well, you know, you got to create some limitations, but the limitations aren't fixed. They're just random and frustrating. Mm -hmm. And so I like the weather. They probably made, they probably could have kept the rain and had it impact climbing without being totally prohibiting climbing, mm -hmm. but they probably made it a little overpowered. It sucks There's, because it's just these periods of times where you can't do something. And as far as I can tell, there is no, you know, equivalent upside that it offers, right? All it does is change conditions for the negative. Yeah, the um, so I've read a couple spirited. I'm I'm mostly mostly with you. Um, there I've read a couple spirited defenses of the rain in this game, and the tack that most of them take um, is to talk about how it kind of contributes to pacing a little bit. Like you have, it kind of forces you to slow down. Um, I don't know if I if I'm on board with that. No, I will I will say that like the thing that the rain did mostly for me was make me want to power past it. Um, there's like a timing and rhythm to when you lose your grip and you can yeah. jump past it weirdly enough. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense, but you can, you can actually kind of figure it out. The bigger issue to me, and not, I'm not saying that like the, uh, uh, you know, that's not an issue. Like that is frustrating. And I think that for the most part, I'm with you guys. I think that this is not a great system out of the two big systems that are complained about a mm -hmm. lot in breath of the wild. It's this and durability. And I think, this is actually kind of bad and durability is I'm a fan of and we'll, we'll, t we'll get to that. Um, mm -hmm. I have a way bigger problem with lightning, which goes hand in hand with rain because that just <laughs> feels like a menu tax yeah. in a way that is unacceptable to me. Um, if you, you lightning comes, you have to take off your metal gear, um, metal gear, metal gear. Uh, the, uh, the, the idea <laughs> being, I think, only, I'm, I'm going to put in a marker there. Only one of us can do that. I, why? <laughs> I continue. Yeah, I'm like, well, that was a funny joke about things we can and can't do. Continue. Yeah, what, what an arbitrary rule. Um, <laughs> the uh, I think the idea was, 
hey, if I have to get into a fight in this lightning storm, I can't use my best uh, gear. Right. Um, most of the time when lightning happened, I was just running around, though. So it just meant going into and out of my inventory a whole lot. And the, the menu and inventory system in this game is not super great. Um, it's better than it could be. But it still made something like this. Like I would much rather have like sets I could switch to. Mm-hmm. It was like one button. Like I'm gonna switch to my all leather set. Yeah, yeah do it like a like a bayonetta. Like oh, just these are my loadouts. I want to re- like rip off my my metal pants. <laughs> like like I'm um uh what's what's the name of that party uh, boy. The famous stripper? Yeah, party boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm party boy. You know, I wish I could just party boy at the touch of a button, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know just doing this menu stuff during the rain. Yeah. So. so well, I, and I, it's I actually a, it actually extends out of the physics part of the game. Um materials that you have have properties Mm -hmm. metal things can conduct electricity even you getting struck by lightning wood can catch fire so there are times when you'll be walking in certain areas where it's so hot you have to if you have a bow and arrow you need to put it away because it'll catch on fire and burn up (laughs) um so things have properties and those properties play into the puzzles later in the game too Mm -hmm. so i think it's interesting and it makes sense that hey if you're going to do these properties you might as well make lightning do something yeah um but yeah, it, it can get frustrating. And and really it was a simple fix because how great would it be to have five loadouts? I need a swimming loadout, I need a climbing loadout, I need a fighting loadout. You know, that would have been a very simple fix. For an already complicated menu, it wouldn't have made it any more complicated. Right, right. Um, but yeah. like put it on a shoulder button, like an unused shoulder button for that. It'd be like the Sims, yeah. you know, like, oh, it's you know, here's my formal outfit. Right. Yeah. Yep, exactly. But the, the the rain and lightning are both kind of mixed bags at best. I would say the rain looks great. Like the biggest gains you get from it are aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like yeah. like running around in a rainstorm looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. And the weather effects look cool. And also, it's fun when lightning strikes an enemy too. Like that works both ways. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the, there's a day night cycle. Uh, different monsters are will come out at night. Different uh, like huntable uh, critters and stuff like that will will be out. Occasionally, though, something called the Blood Moon will happen, um, and that will revive dead enemies uh, at outposts and also kind of superpower them for a little bit. This is yeah. like the Eye of Ganon opening over the world. Yeah, I've got, I've got mixed feelings on this weather effect. You know, if if a big evil moon can be considered weather, I guess the moon is weather. <laughs> yeah. We've established I don't know anything about biology. If donkeys <laughs> are bad horses and the moon is weather, then... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not just, I'm just gonna lean into this this ignorance here but i i think that this isn't like a terrible idea but there's in a in a game with this much uh teleportation and this kind of ease of teleportation mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of reason to recover your tracks um you know it, it's there's there can be reason like there there's conceptually the possibility that there will be an enemy fortress that i will go back to mm-hmm. um it was very rare though right so having having the enemies respawn makes sense so the world doesn't just become a big empty like you know uh uh empty not, nothingness place. Yeah. But um Dan and Sir the Apocalypse, I finished it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they take one of our we take all of theirs, you know. Yeah. Um, uh so the world doesn't become this empty thing, but I got really annoyed by this popping up and the cutscene uh that is associated with it being kind of the same every time mm-hmm. and just getting you know it was supposed to feel like i wanted it to be like castlevania 2 mm. like i wanted to have that feeling like oh what a terrible night to have a curse like it's much more dangerous to be out right now mm-hmm. and that never came across for me yeah uh, this was mostly a nuisance yeah uh, for me it's kind of cool looking though yeah yeah, yeah. the first time it definitely looks cool like the first time yeah. you see the, see everything come back to life it's like oh that's it feels like oh shit mm-hmm it yeah. looked cool, but the first, like, five times it happened, I didn't know what was actually happening. I wasn't <laughs> that, that, in a spot where I saw things respawn or it mattered. 
And yeah. so I was like, what the heck was that about? And that was it. <laughs> yep, yeah, same. And never really, uh, never really ran afoul of this. Yeah. 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 Um, um yeah, temperature is a big deal. So you have a t- you you have a temperature meter, and also when you're in the uh, when you're in the gear uh, part of the menu, you uh, you have Link, and he'll either be sweating or he'll be shivering and stuff like that. You govern your temperature, um, your your character's temperature, uh, with clothing and with items. Otherwise, you slowly lose health over time. And you mean yes. items in two senses. One is there's often a potion that'll allow you that you can construct that'll allow you to. Stand, withstand heat or withstand cold. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is if you hold, if you're in the cold and you're holding a fire sword, it'll keep you warm. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it works the opposite way with the hot and the cold. So um, it makes it interesting because the weapons are destructible to try and always have a fire sword with you or some kind of cold item with you. It, it makes it interesting. It makes you have to make some interesting decisions. Yeah. yeah. So uh, like torches will work the same as well. Yeah. 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 Um, this is really interesting. It makes certain areas of the world uh, dangerous. And you have to prepare. You have that kind of preparation angle, which is something I value. Yeah. You know, I know I'm going into this snowy zone. Um, Let's gather up materials and brew some potions Mm. to to make that work. Eventually, you get sets of clothing that this kind of becomes an inventory tax again. Mm -hmm. Again, You know, a little bit like, yeah, going like into and out of those two two, uh, kind of biomes. But initially, this works really well. Yeah. It's fantastic uh-huh. to like follow the road up into the mountains and then get to a stable and have people say, oh, yeah, it's mighty chilly up there. You know, they, I hear they sell special armor at the Rudo Mountains or whatever, um, you know, at, the, at, that, at that village. And you're kind of stuck to the main path a little bit unless you can kind of gut it out until you until you ultimately get that item that will open things up for you. And then you're way empowered to just go wherever you want to in that area. Yeah. One good yeah. thing is they do let you gut it out. It's none of these effects for the most part are instantaneous. This isn't you freeze in 30 seconds. If you decide to make a run for it or you want to do something specific, mm-hmm. you, you can keep feeding your energy and feeding your health and you can keep going. So yeah. it's definitely something you have to deal with. But you can, there are certain parts in the game where I definitely was like, well, I'm, I want to get to this. I'm going to keep going. And I just kept kept feeding myself energy. Yeah, specifically, yeah. like you can tackle all of the uh, beasts in any particular order. I think the game mm-hmm. nudges you toward the Zora one at first, but I went to the one in the Northwest because I wanted the power that you get from the end of it. And that involves yeah. like your, your, your cozy doublet is not enough. So you end up having to cook a bunch of spicy food so you can just gut your way to the, to the uh, Rito village. Yeah. And, and that kind of, there's, there's kind of two, two parts of that, that gutting your way thing. Like one, that is because this is a, a more simulation based game, you know, yeah. that's really good. Like and that even extends to, you know, it's not a weather thing, but like, there's a stealth sequence uh, partway through this game that does not result in instant game over. <laughs> you know, that that's for, for games that have kind of less of this verisimilitude to do. This isn't interested in that. Um, I really appreciate that. It does mean, you know, the, the systems that work so well when you're first kind of kidding yourself out um, lose, lose a lot of their luster later in the game, I think. Yeah. You know, making your way through kind of switching biomes, things like that. Like once it's no longer desperate, um, it gets a little bit less fun. And it's interesting because that's an arc I've had with every open world game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's been a thing with like every 3D Fallout and every 3D Elder Scrolls game I've ever, ever played. Where like, uh, you know, when you're when you're hungry, you know, <laughs> the, the game is at its best when you're like hungry. You're starting out, you're desperate, you're disempowered. Everything is difficult. I don't know if this like, you know, spicy omelet I made is going to last me, uh, you know, until I get to this shrine. Right. You know, so I can do this fast travel or do I turn back? You know, because I don't have enough supplies. Like, that's a great feeling. And the game rides that for longer than most. Right. You know, it just mm-hmm. doesn't ride it quite forever. Um, so there, there are a couple of those systems that they set up and they're kind of 
not like trapped with, but like that they have to maintain because that's the way the game that's it's yeah. having that that uh, marriage to to being a simulation yeah. that end up making parts of the end game a little bit again, like menu taxi. It becomes part of the accumulated weight once the novelty of picking up that new piece to carry around wears off. Yeah. And and you're not limited, you know, you are limited in armor and, and stuff that you can carry, but you're or uh, weapons and stuff that you can carry, but you're not limited in food mm-hmm. that you can carry. So you can actually technically kind of gut out everything. Yeah. You know, it gives yeah. you that feeling of danger without actually being that much in danger, um, which we'll, we'll get to when we talk about the healing system in this game, which is like there's been a lot written about that as well. I don't have as big a problem with it as some people do. Right. But it does undercut a little bit of the teeth uh, that we'll we'll get to with that that difficulty of, of going into the unknown. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we alluded to this a little bit. This is very simulation-y. Um, and that plays into the fact that unlike previous Zelda games, which were mostly deterministic, you know, things just kind of moved in a prescribed way. Uh, everything here is kind of like physics-based, which mostly creates opportunities for improvisation or... For me, mostly the ability to turn whoopsies into unexpected solutions. Yeah, yeah. The physics is it, it was a huge part of how their sell on the game, um, and they were they were honest to it and loyal to the idea. I mean, everything has some kind of physics base to it. Um, we we'll talk about combat later, but from combat to all of the elements that you learn in the runes we talk about later, everything is a physics based puzzle and a physics based reaction, um, and it makes things, as you said, unpredictable. But it also makes for some clever ability to solve things and yeah. you know oh, you'd be amazed if you go to reddit <laughs> you'll see some amazing things where people have made things happen or some weird incident happens something falls and kills something and mm-hmm. it just adds to this amazing unpredictability they're really not afraid to have it be goofy and wobbly yeah, yeah it's, it's it's super fun like it makes <laughs> um encounters normal encounters even the ones that aren't puzzles kind of like puzzles in a way that most other things that are like near and dear to my heart the game doesn't actually have that much in common with it but it reminded me of dishonored mm where you have this huge tool set of just kind of weird things you can chain together here. That's the same kind of thing, except they're out in the world, you know? So like if I put, uh, you know, an octo balloon on this metal thing and then float it over, uh, you know, go up in the air, uh, use my Korok feather to push it over and then <laughs> use magnesis to drop it on something, you know, you can do a lot of very elaborate kind of things. And that's really, really fun. The octo yeah. balloon has to be goat. It has to be like the greatest of all time. I love those it's, items so much. It's the only thing I felt good like harvesting. <laughs> like I hate farming yeah. in games, but I always wanted more of those because they're useful. Uh-huh. Like they're really good for puzzles. And then also they're so dumb. Yeah. Uh, like being able to full ten things away in this game is just ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, and, and just I love that it's just like it's this gross like skin bladder yep. from this octopus creature. It's like pretty gross link. Yeah. Um, uh, and also octoroks are fun to fight in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the, that kind of physics will we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about the combat and the puzzle solving, um, how that can be used. But it's a really cool direction for the series. Very free. Yes. And the game is very for a, for a physics based game. It's it's just impeccably stable. I mean, the game just it works within those systems, but it seems fair and predictable and you don't get a lot of it can be unexpected results in a fun way, but things don't break down very often yeah. compared to most games of this kind of that are this physics based. Yeah. Things won't like judder wildly while they accelerate up a slope. Yeah. 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 You don't, you don't get the, the weird, the mutants, like the, the game Rio <laughs> mutants yeah. that will, you know, that just explode uh, in, into stretched out terror models. You know, it, it has that level of, of polish to it. That is like noteworthy, right? Like, you know, Polish is something I think that gamers in general kind of overvalue a little bit. 
but here it's almost the first kind of open world game like this that that gets it quite that right yeah. you know like yeah. this this is as far as that level of polish and that level of uh stability like i think this might be goat yeah. with that i don't think an open world game has done this yeah this it's degree. it's remarkable how well it meets at the seams and those seams hold yes yeah very cool um, let's talk about your iPad. Yeah, your your PDA that nobody will shut up about. <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah, the Sheikah slate. Yeah. Um, so very early on, that's one of the reasons why you can tell this was going to be a Wii U game initially, because Link finds a magical Wii U. Um, <laughs> that um, everyone everyone is very impressed by you having this technology because like this is this is like kind of medieval Zelda times, but also everyone has cameras. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. Yeah, uh, you you have this Omni device with you that operates as your uh, kind of your Pip Boy, um, yeah. gives you your map, your quest log, your codex, and then also gets upgrades. It gets apps <laughs> that you can use to uh, as kind of your your powers that substitute for dungeon items. Yes, because Breath of the Wild completely gets rid of uh, not completely their their stuff you get at the end of dungeons. Man, I need to stop hedging myself. It gets rid of the usual rhythm of go to dungeon get an item, use that item to clear the dungeon and kill the boss, and then move on to the next thing. Like, that structure is gone. Um, yes. And really, they started that with Link Between Worlds. That's where uh, yes. I think they did the most direct experimentation with that idea. Um, for anybody out there that hasn't played that game, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing. But yeah, they they broke down the structure there, and here they took they took that structure and just shattered it to to get rid of all of that and give you everything up front. It is so hard to stop myself from just like firing up Link Between Worlds. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love that game I love so much. Um, if you want, just to, to give a shout out to to our buddies, um, Rig and Kelly, and the guys who do the podcast, the short game. Uh -huh. um, I did an episode about Link Between Worlds with those guys, and it's pretty much waff with instead of coal, it's all those dudes. Oh, okay. So it's it's, it's <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> I, I, don't sweat coal. It's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like say like, hey guys, do you want to have me on this? You guys can pretend to be coal. <laughs> <laughs> the show and, and it just turned out we did it in a very waff like way. Yeah. Um, but that's it was just there. their secret society of no coal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. no we can have one. Um, the, just not you. <laughs> the, 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 this this is a small anecdote that is apropos of nothing but pursuant to the idea of a no coals club. Right before I got fired from my old job, um, mm -hmm. they hired another coal who spelled his name exactly the same way uh. I did. Oh my god! <laughs> that actually happened to me at my old job before. I mean, I'd quit my old job, but the yeah. old office job they got they got a bad Gary. Just like, <laughs> like Janet and bad Janet, and there's Gary and bad Gary. <laughs> and he's always farting up the joint. Like it's <laughs> well, what is the purpose of a? <laughs> Leave me with one of Janet's classic farts. Um, the uh, God, what were we gonna talk about in it instead of bad Janet's classic farts? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, um. The, that dungeon link between worlds. Yeah, the rhythm. Yeah, between worlds, that dungeon structure. So, like that, I think that they that is ends up being a little bit of a mixed bag with those dungeons because they don't they they know what every player is going to have, uh -huh. and they have to design around you doing them in any order. So there isn't that kind of like that many new concepts introduced mm -hmm. in the dungeons, um, and I think that applies to shrines and dungeons. I think, um, yeah. but what you gain for that is that something that um, I've always been very frustrated by modern uh, 3D Zelda dungeons, where it's like, I get the boomerang, you play long enough to run into a giant spider that has three glowing points that can only be hit by a boomerang. Mm -hmm. You hit those three glowing points, and it falls on its back, and you hit it a few times. And I feel like I, that describes almost every 3D Zelda boss. You know, you can you can replace boomerang with any number of items, but that's pretty much what happens. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. doesn't do that. Like, it's not... 
there's a little bit of like I, I found myself wanting more verbs in this game. <laughs> and I think I think that Link Between Worlds kind of hits that balance a little bit better because there are tons of verbs in that game. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot more items. They just know the player has access to all of them and can design around it. This one, I kept wanting kind of more stuff to do, I think. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. they, they make a pronounced choice to, you know, leave you at the end of the tutorial area with most of the verbs you're going to have, minus yes. the special abilities you get from the Ghosts of the Heroes, right? And and the upgraded versions. And, like, that's, you know, part of, I think that might be necessary, right? Like, this yeah. is kind of just me nitpicking, but, like, the uh, that, that kind of polish, that lack of it falling apart at the seams probably has to do with, you know, if you introduce more complexity to this, mm-hmm. it's possible it would break. You know, but it, it just it's it's one of those things that is um, they, it was definitely a trade. I think it's a good trade, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a trade. You yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, so, how did I mean, am I how did you guys feel about that? Did you guys find yourself at a point in this game wanting for stuff to do or were you pretty much cool with with that? And I'm not no no judgment. Like I'm not saying like, oh, if you oh, your baby doesn't want verbs. Baby hates verbs. <laughs> like, that, that, that. John, I'll let you um, go first. I, I think they had a good set of verb sets. I think the, the first thing to state is that at the beginning, the way they mix them and they interact as you're solving puzzles and dealing with the different things you, you come to in the game are very good. And they you have a lot of interesting things you can do. I think they could have made the weapons a little more sophisticated and given you more options in that sense. Um, as I said, there were still times where I would be like, why can't I solve this puzzle? And I'd forget that I had one of the verb sets that was out there. But I think it was pretty good. I think it was a good balance. They could have done some more. I think a lot more might have overwhelmed the system. I don't know if I would have wanted, you know, you have five or six. I don't know if I'd wanted ten different ways to solve problems. And it would have added to the complexity of of the different shrines too, because then they would have had to account for that many more ways of finding solutions. So I think it did it it did kind of at some point realize you have a limited tool set there, but there's more you could do. I had a similar situation to John where I would frequently forget that I had like cry- Cryonis, though, like the ice power that, you know, isn't something we all know I came that's up. the loser power. It's like <laughs> the, the least used power in this, this whole group. There's one like redheaded stepchild of the powers and it's definitely Cryonis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like there would be a time where I get to a shrine, like, okay, there's water here. It's probably calling for that. But like maybe I would just forget it. Like it would be, it would, I, I filed it away on my blind spot. I think for me, the thing that unlocked th- this problem and made it not so much of a big deal, though, you know, the lack of verbs problem was when I finished my first divine beast and realized that like, oh, this is just like a super shrine. Like, unlike yeah. um, any other <laughs> Zelda dungeon, this is not going to be about, you know, finding the key for this for, for this area and then understanding and learning the way to use it. It's like, no, you walk into it with everything you need and it's more about reading the environment than, you know, learning le- learning like a new thing. Once I got over that initial hump, the actual rhythm of the game kind of settled in and I stopped being disappointed. For, for sure. I, I didn't want uh, every, every divine beast or every dungeon to have a new verb that I would then have for the whole time. I think that part of it would have been solved if three of the four um, powers you get from the divine beast weren't kind of, kind of snoozers. Yeah. You know, like you get, Combat you get related. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get like the, the Gale Rivali's Gale and that's great. You <laughs> yeah. know, like I love that. If the other three had been on that tier, then it might have, you know, make those, you know, what if one of them let you climb super fast or one of them allowed you to run at like super speeds, like things that actually impacted exploration and what you're going to be doing, Yeah, you know, in the game. I think that made it would have made a, a little bit of a difference, you know, because I, I used uh, Rivali's Gale, you know, as a new power like that could have been in my Sheikah slate. Like that was an elemental power mm-hmm. once I had it. Yeah. like I used that a lot. Um, the other three I didn't give a shit about and almost never used. 
You know, so there was a little bit of that missing. Like I liked getting Rivali's Gale. It recontextualized the rest of the world for me. That's mm-hmm. what I was missing, I think. Yeah. Although Rivali's Gale proves you, they could have added verb sets that could have you would have been optional. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be necessary mm-hmm. to solve any of the puzzles, but would have been fun and useful to have. Yeah. Like like super like being able to move very fast would have been a big difference because I could imagine using that during camps and in fighting certain, you know, like Hinoxes and stuff. You know, something like that. And just off the top of my head, like. You know, mm-hmm. like make something optional but fun mm-hmm. um, as a thing. I think that's maybe what I was missing a little bit of. Um, the ones you do get are good, though. I will, I will agree with that. Um, yeah. And let, let's talk about them. Yeah, let's talk about um, you, your, and you, and you have rooms. to get these before you leave the tutorial area, I guess, is, is worth talking about, too. You can't leave the tutorial area without having these. These are every mm-hmm. player will have these. Yeah. Um, so the one that ended up using the most by far is the bombs. Them giving you infinite bombs on a um, on a timer, like on a cooldown, is such a good decision. Not being miserly about these things opened me up to really experiment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and it, you can see shades of that again in uh, Link Between Worlds where they tied it to your magic meter. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being a, a consumable. Yeah. But these and one are... of the coolest things about the bombs is they give you squared, which don't roll, and round, which mm-hmm. do. Which you can see the game designers being like, well, this is the advantage of this. And they were just like, let's just give them both. Uh-huh. And they can mm-hmm. do what they want with them. And it's fun. I mean, they have good combat application. If you're, you know, you're being chased by something that's kind of overpowering you, you can drop a squared one and just blow it up behind you and really disrupt the, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they can kill a lot of weaker opponents by themselves or at least kind of give you the upper hand. So yeah. the combat abuse of them is phenomenal and the puzzle use and the way it interacts is really one of the better things in the game. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're remote detonate means that you're yeah. able to do, you know, the, the thing that like they would joke about on idle thumbs a lot, like the grenade rolls down the hill. Like I would just throw one of these things down a hill into an encampment and then just wait until it was right under a bokoblin or whatever, blow it up. And that was my opening, my opening move. Yeah. yeah. They, they go and check them out too. It's real it's real tragic actually. <laughs> like, like, what's, this, what's, this, what's this glowing egg that's in our in our in our house now? Oh shit. The um yeah, that's that's how I use them too, and this is also probably the one I use the most uh for that exact reason. It's great when you get um out of your depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you're being chased by, you know, uh a, a monster that's outside of your your kind of capabilities, um you can leave these behind you. It will knock everything down. Um, they'll lose their weapon. You can go steal that weapon from them, or you can just run. Yep. Uh, you know, I definitely had a couple of times where I had to, like, I, I can't do this encounter. I am too weak. Uh, and these, these helped with that uh, quite a bit. Um, there's also Magnesis, um, which is uh, you pulling out a big kind of cartoon magnet and um, doing kind of telekinesis with magnetic things. Yes. Um, this has more limited ac- applications. Like it's, there's lots of puzzles you can use to kind of move things around. It can be used in combat, uh, but that's kind of showy. Like it's fun to do it. It's, it's like a cute play mm-hmm. uh, and can be very effective, but you have to have the right situation where there are metal things about. Yeah. Um, the good, and then the good thing about that of, system is when you turn it on, it tells you, you can see what's metal by based upon the color, yes. which kind of allows you to jump right to a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, useful, you know, pretty useful. Yeah. Uh, you know, used oftentimes in shrines for, um, like making bridges, um, or moving, uh, moving large metal balls and stuff around. Um, this, the, it, it falls short of being like 
a psyops, you know, telekinesis, you know, god weapon because there's no throw. Like you don't get like a gravity gun like blast. It is almost entirely yeah. like moving it around with your analog stick. Yeah. Yep. Uh Cryonis, the the redhead stepchild, Cryonis, uh quick message for me to you. Get your shit together. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to need you to join the big boys over here in uh, Magnesis Town. All right. Magnesis was right. Look at my shirt. The, um, yeah. uh, Cryonis is very specific. Yeah. Uh, it allows you to point at water and make little uh, ice cubes or big ice cubes out of it. <laughs> little pillars brought Not only like for a beverage, it like raises a pillar that you can climb up on and use as, uh, as, as temporary platforms. You know, or cover, yeah. or oh. it can move things. And but th- that's really the three; those are the things. Mm-hmm. Well, you it can know, lift like gates. A, yeah, yeah. It's useful for traversal if you're trying to go up something that's wet. You can climb up them. You can use. You can place three at a time. Mm-hmm. Three is correct, I believe. So you place one, climb on, place another. You can break them from a distance. Um, so that adds some puzzle element to them. Uh, the other thing you can do with them is if you're in a situation where you have to go across a body of water, you don't have the stamina to get across, mm-hmm. you can shoot them down there and use them as your capture point to rebuild your, your stamina and keep going. I am shocked that I never thought of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, yep. No, I feel like a dummy for all those times I drowned. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. useful for that. Uh, yeah. we, did, we didn't talk about swimming, but yeah, swimming, you can you can drown. Like Link drowns a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is. I mean, it's not like the use the uses that it has aren't cool. I just think out of all of the powers, this is by far the least versatile. Yeah, um, you yeah, need to have, have to have water. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it also means that the game, you know, kind of a, a the the dark side, not the dark side, but like the other side of what you had said, you know, before when you when you pull out um, magnesis and you can see everything that glows, um, that's signaling that you need to use magnesis. Like if you go into a shrine or you go into an area with water, it's like, well, I, okay, I'm going to use cryonis. It kind of gives you the solution. Mm-hmm. A little yeah. bit, and I found the Cryonis puzzles to be a little bit unsatisfying uh, generally out of the different types of puzzles. Like, I yeah. found these pretty easy to figure out and not, you know, so it's just telling me, like, hey, use water, idiot. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I used the water and I got through the thing. Yeah. You know, um, the 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 quality of the – I like shrines. as Like, when we get to these, I like those as an alternative to Zelda dungeons. Um, yeah. I do think that, like, I wish more of them were a little bit better. Like there are a bunch of really good ones. They're just like a bunch of them. They're kind of nothings. I yeah. felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, your final power is, is the one I think is the most whiz bang of these. It's still very situational, mm-hmm. but uh, allows for a lot of creativity. Stasis. Um, this is pretty involved. It lets you freeze items uh, that are you know moving through space. You can upgrade it so it will uh, freeze enemies. Uh, mm-hmm. However, the major the primary puzzle used for these is to freeze a large object. Uh, a large object. Um, go up and hit it, and what it does is it will accumulate the force that you impart into it. When it unfreezes, all that force will act on it at once. It yeah. builds up all the kinetic energy, and then when it unfreezes, it's released. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's super satisfying. The sound, <laughs> the the increasing, like, elevating pitch of the sound of you hitting uh, the thing is astounding like it sounds really really good the, like the way and it, it also it shoots a vector arrow out so you can see what yeah. direction it's going to go as you're hitting it. and minor adjustments will change its direction a lot depending on what you're hitting mm-hmm. and it'll also start to get redder or it goes from to yellow and red and red to indicate that it has more and more kinetic energy built up that is such a just, just a wonderful design language for that like to, yeah, to, yeah. to communicate like a kind of complex idea like they they really nailed it i think 
I, I, I love this power. And I love it when you can get it uh, to use it on enemies. <laughs> it's you critical. Know? I mean, later in the game, when you actually get the ability where you can actually successfully fight um, the Guardians, the ability to hit them just to just to buy an extra three seconds to cover the distance between them and you. Uh-huh. Um, it's it has it's a fun combat application. It really gives you something to when I'm fighting. This is my stop, freeze them, go. You know, that's my primary, mm-hmm. you know, rune ability. Crowd control yeah. because big enemies. Crowd control. Yeah, big, big, big yeah. enemies will come at you hard. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like stasis quite a bit. Um, as we kind of alluded to, there are upgrades for a bunch of these. Like we talked about how stasis you can upgrade uh, and have it uh, freeze enemies. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, the uh, bombs will do more damage mm-hmm. uh, when they're mm-hmm. upgraded. The um, are there upgrades for magnesis and cry? Cryonis? No, don't think so. I think, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think there were ones that I missed. Um, because I didn't, I didn't do all of those. That's tied into a uh, like a go go collect a certain number of thingies kind of quest. So I did those for bombs and for stasis, and then quit. I think there are a couple other things you can upgrade. Yeah, it's, it's so it's three. Your it's, camera. It's bombs, stasis, and your shrine locator can be turned into an anything locator. Yes, there we go. Uh, which is tied into the kind of final ability of this um a little bit, which is that your Sheikah's Lake can can become a camera. Um, this is mostly used, uh, you can use it to kind of scan the horizon and mark things. Um, you can do initially, but eventually you can take pictures mm-hmm. and this is used for completing a compendium of, uh, you know, pretty much if you want to play animal crossing, mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. the middle of breath of the wild, like I want to take a picture of all of these insects. I want to take a picture of all these plants, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it ends up being really useful if there's a particular ingredient that is kind of like mm-hmm. always useful for you. Uh, you take mm-hmm. a picture of it, like, oh, I need like these stamina mushrooms, and then you set your locator uh, to beep when you're running toward a nearby stamina mushroom. Yeah, the locator is by default set to shrines, but you can set it to chests. Mm-hmm. You can set it to whatever ingredient you need to find, so it gives you the ability to find things that are otherwise difficult to find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't end up yeah. using that, that that often. Like, I I was fine with it being on shrines, mm-hmm. and I didn't also I didn't take pictures. Uh, in the game that's not just me in games i don't i don't really uh, do do photography in games but i i'm like i'm glad that it's there i've seen some really good pictures and i i know people for whom that is very important yeah um and i don't so know if we get this later but one of the actually what you mentioned this just in passing but i think it's important you can set markers from a distance yeah which so if you see a shrine at a distance or and it could be just beyond visible but just a little light in the distance you can hit a marker and it'll put it on the map so early in the game before all the towers are opened up you can say i know you could mark 10 towers or there's a limit (laughs) but you can mark them and then go and try and find them based upon the visual which is a really fun use of that ability and something you learn pretty useful pretty early on but it's very useful yeah and it it doesn't just pop up on the map it'll actually like when you when you pull out the sheikah slate to look through it it'll actually show the beam like rising up in the distance you know, almost yes. almost like uh, like where the Colossi are in Shadow of the Colossus. Exactly. I, I like it much more as an articulation of that kind of Assassin's Creed Tower Ubisoft mm. nightmare thing. <laughs> like manually yeah. just doing it for points of interest yourself uh-huh. as opposed to just climbing the tower and having the game give you a big list of garbage to do, <laughs> um, I think is, is a lot a lot better of a way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Part of what's interesting about these runes is they can interact. You're, you're not limited to – you can't accept – you can use them once. But then you can skip to something else while that's still being used. So there'll be puzzles where the combination of stasis and then hitting it with a bomb will allow that kinetic energy to get built into something. Mm-hmm. You can use different ones, and they all kind of just automatically revamp. There's Just like the bombs, nothing has a limited use. Nothing is using anything permanent. You can use these as much as you can based upon the timer, which limits how often you can use them. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to do that actually uh... – 
allows you to get yourself out of a couple of unwinnable situations with uh, durability, which we'll talk about later. Like being able yes. to stasis something and then use bombs to uh, mm-hmm. to give it that kinetic energy is really huge. Like, and bombs end up actually being your one unlimited source of damage, <laughs> uh, which is that's very right. strange. Yeah. But like, that's that's the only thing that you've got that's unlimited um, yeah. and can make a big difference early on. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about uh. Let's talk about fighting stuff. Yeah. So I love the kind of variable range and how complex the combat can be because at its base level, it feels very familiar. You have your lock on, you know, Link will sidestep around. You have like a little dodge step or whatever. And, you know, for a while, for um, you know, maybe most of the game probably, you can kind of use those limited verbs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's what the the, way that, the thing that makes this different than... Um than previous Zeldas, even if you are just using those verbs, I think is that the the higher order monsters are more threatening and more complicated than anything Link has faced before. Right. I don't think there's ever been a monster in a modern Zelda game that is as complicated and difficult as Lionel is in this game. Yeah. Or, uh, oh gosh, the Mage Alphos or whatever those are. The the Wizalfos, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, yeah. the wiz, wiz Robes. Yeah, Wizrobes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there, there just hasn't been something that has been that complicated. So you have this very standard kind of set of of moves that's not that dissimilar to your point, like that to the moves at Nocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just being used in a context that is stronger and more demanding of it, right. and it's it's augmented by a lot of things as well. Yeah, you know, so um, you know, you have your normal your normal moves. You have, uh, as we mentioned uh, before, durability is a huge thing. Yes, that plays into this. Um, Everything is destructible, uh, with one exception, the Master Sword, which we'll, we'll get to, and even that has severe limitations mm-hmm. put on it. Um, this is the other thing that people complain about in this game. They complain about rain, and they complain about uh, the the weapon durability thing. And I think mm-hmm. that when they're complaining about that, I feel like, have you guys, you know, people complain about that, like, if you just not, you're not further than, than seven hours into the game, right? Because <laughs> once you get to a certain point, you will realize that there are more weapons than you can ever use in a million years, mm-hmm. and the downside of this actually ends up being that weapon limit more than anything. It like ends up being like fucking around with your inventory to like, Oh, I just got a chest that has a slightly better sword. Yeah. Let me go into my inventory and drop my worst sword. <laughs> like you, you will never triage. be at a loss yeah. for weapons. Yeah. Like you, you yeah. have enough weapons in this mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, so I, I, the durability ends up being a thing that like, I end up kind of liking because early again, for that hard scrabble early game, mm-hmm. you know, like, when you when it is, I only have one club. It's about to break. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, this is awesome. It broke and broke over this uh, Bacoblin's head. Made him drop his club. If I get to it before him, I can kill him with his own weapon and kill his friends with it. Yeah. You know, th- you literally run are... into situations where you don't have a weapon and you have to go grab their weapon <laughs> off a rack before it's, they can hit you. It's like fucking super hot, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah very, very similar to, yeah. and it's awesome. You know, yeah. again, like yeah. a couple of the different systems in this, I think that it loses a little bit of its teeth the further you go in. Right, right. Like when yeah, I when absolutely. I can reliably use a, a royal sword, mm-hmm. you know, whenever like that can be my standby because I have three of them, and ah, oh, god, this elemental wand would be really useful. But that that chuckle fuck who. <laughs> Like that piece of broccoli who sells me pockets. Like broccoli, broccoli. I, I, I can't really, I'm really like looking at him. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't stare at pocket broccoli. So I don't want to have a, you know, I, I can't carry any more weapons. Ugh. You know, that ends up being yeah. very frustrating, but early on it's actually, it does a lot, you know, and it has that feeling of like a system that's set up to make the, it sets up a rule that is so good for the first 20 hours of the game. And then yeah. can kind of gets a little bit worse as you yeah. go. Yeah. 
my, yeah. my, my tendency in this would be to like always pick the best weapon or the one that I like using the most and, and not use anything else. I really appreciated the way this system, the durability system broke me out of my complacency a little bit with some of that because mm -hmm. you're forced to cycle so much. Like, well, it turns out that all I have is this leaf. Let me figure out how to use this in a, in a meaningful way. Right. And so it created those dramatic moments that I think are where this game really shines for me. So I stopped resenting it pretty quickly and looked at it as an yep. opportunity to experiment. You you have to divest yeah, no, yourself. It's a great system. Good to use. Like you can't you can't think of something as being too good to use mm -hmm. in the in this thing, or you will you'll make yourself absolutely miserable. Yeah. In this, you have to know there are just other good weapons coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. um, use them up. <laughs> They're there to be used. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and yep. like, I, I envision like a way to mitigate this, like, oh, like maybe like midway through the game, there's a quest where like you can mark an item that you really like to have an inf infinite durability, but that would break it. <laughs> like even the master. Well, that, yeah, it would totally break it. Cause the whole point is if I, if you didn't have weapon durability, I probably would have used three weapons in the whole game. Right. You would have just found yeah. something good. You would have found something better. Didn't like it. To, I mean, you might use five, but you wouldn't have. I, I've had. I've hit people with arms off of skeletons. I've hit. I mean, you know, like you hit them with a tree branch. You, you know, it's you just you do what you do and got to do to survive. I mean, it's a fun game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I agree with that, and I think that is, uh, you know, what what the game gets for that is worth it. But mm -hmm. I, I do think that disappears. You know, for for most of your game time, that won't be true. You know, that yeah. kind of desperation and and hitting people with their own arms thing that is so good early on. Um, eventually, so like to Cole's point, like I think if they did find a way to narratively and within the game world abandon the system partway through, I don't think that I don't think it would ruin it. I think that by the time you get to that point or a certain point in the game, what would be ruined no longer exists anymore. Right. You know, and I, I just ended yeah. up finding it kind of a chore. You know, and I, I, maybe a really good way to do this would have been to add this to the divine beast. Like each divine beast, like gives you a, a weapon that can't be destroyed. It's like a protected it's, slot. Yeah. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. And these are some of these. Um, that's something that I first heard as an idea. Um, there's a Joseph Anderson video on this game. They'll put in the show notes. That's pretty good. He's crankier about it than I am. Mm. Like he, he, you know, there's things, but there's some of the, he did a good job of articulating some of the issues I had uh, with the game, which like again to clarify, like I, I really love this game, but uh, some of the things I I felt stopped it from becoming a masterpiece. Um, and this is one of them, right? Like going into a shrine, doing a really cool puzzle, getting uh a weapon from that was there was a big two-handed sword that I really wanted to use. And then just having to play inventory Tetris to get it right. was annoying to me. Like there was friction that, you know, and it, if a game is this good, I'm going to, the friction points are going to stand out, Yeah, you know, a little bit yeah. like a, a, a beautiful cheeseburger that has like, you know, a wilted piece of lettuce on it. Exactly. Yeah. Like not even saying that bad, right? A wilted yeah. piece of lettuce is a perfect example. Cause I didn't want to say like, you know, has like a, a, a Lego on there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like something that's still perfectly edible and fine, but just like would have made it, you know, a five star <laughs> cheeseburger. And this is one of those things where early on this durability, you get so much from it. Same mm -hmm. thing with rain, right? Like early on before when it's desperate, mm -hmm. like it, it works really well. Yeah. And then it loses a little bit of that charm as you go on. Yeah. Um, you have a couple of different types of weapons. Um, one-handed swords and kind of clubs that operate very similarly. Um, Two-handed weapons uh, that are kind of operate similarly and similarly, and then spears. Yeah. There's kind of three classes of, of melee weapons. Uh, in, um, in addition to things like boomerang, boomerang swords or wands as well. Yeah, which are which are boomerang swords can be a sword or it can be a thrown weapon, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. I use that. Wands are kind of a way to deliver elemental effects. Yeah. And we can't uh, not talk about bows. 
uh, in this because this is such a good archery game. That's so good. The archery and it's very fun. It's so useful. Um, you can use it for a lot of different things like sneaking into enemy encampments and, and shooting down that chandelier and setting <laughs> them on fire while they're sleeping, like, you know, is really, really good. And uh, elemental arrows or arrows are very useful as well. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, I love the fact that they just built in critical damage into this, you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, kills from stealth or headshots or stuff like that. It really re- rewards precision in a way that I, I just I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember happening in earlier Zelda games. Uh, even though it, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I really don't yeah. think getting a headshot in you know Skyward Sword really matters. I could right, be wrong right. about that, but it didn't feel like it did. Yeah. And even if it did matter, you didn't have to because the combat was easier and less desperate. Right. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things about this is that there's no reason for them to do it. If you pull out your sword while you're, or not your sword, your bow while you're in the air, uh, time slows down. It's amazing. <laughs> but it's yeah. a, it is a decision that is made purely for the sake of drama. Right. And yeah. also to like give you those last, you know, just like the, the, the idea of pulling out success at the very last second. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when you nice say like, you know, when you say the only reason is drama, what, what you mean is that like, I mean, there's reasons, there are times where it's necessary. Yes. You know, to solve puzzles or whatever. There's no narrative reason. Right. That's what there's, there's, it's just a link being, you know, <laughs> being awesome. super soldier, being a hero. Yeah. 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 Being a hero. Yeah. Um, I love that as well. Yeah. The bows are super satisfying. It's, I think her talked about this the other day, but shooting folks off of when they're on horseback or something, attacking you and being able to knock them straight off. Or as you said, when you're falling and you hit an amazing shot from a distance and just take something out, the bows are very satisfying. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Clearing out an enemy encampment, like sniping them at night. Uh, (laughs) So good. Every weapon in the game can be thrown essentially. Correct. Yes. So even your melee weapons can be thrown, which is, and they actually they tell you to do this, but uh-huh. there's something amazing about you're you're fighting and you know trying to stay stay alive, and you have that moment where it tells you your sword sword or whatever weapon you're using is about to run out, and you're that's the time to go and just throw it at your enemy and it'll smash with a critical hit. Uh-huh. And there's just something very visceral and fun about you're in the middle of a fight, you're surrounded, and you, your sword's about to break, and you just take it and smack smack them from a distance, pull out your next weapon weapon and keep going. It is a very fun combat moment, especially in a physics-based combat system. Yeah, there, there, there are moments where I ju- there there are moments where I retrofitted this almost into a Batman game, where you glide <laughs> in over an encampment, uh, <laughs> do your slow motion thing as you're falling, you know, plug a couple of guys with some arrows, land, throw whatever you need to as you're closing the distance, and then kill off whatever's left in the like in the remainder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's actually got a good fun. stealth system. The uh-huh. stealth system is good. Yeah, you can you can get down and kind of reduce your sound. There's certain equipment that reduces your ability. You don't have to fight. There's very few enemies in this game you have to fight. Right. So you can stealth around or walk around most of your enemies. But it is there's something very satisfying about getting in close when they're not paying attention um, and using that stealth. And is it? I think it was Justin McElroy who made the famous quotes: "A stealth system is only as fun as it." is only as fun it is when it falls apart and you no longer have stealth. How fun that is determines how good the stealth system is. Yep. It's very fun to be the person that gets the first hit and then just goes in and, and raids the bad guys. Predator, it's a very man. solid system. Man, I, I've been saying that for like five years. I didn't know I stole it from Justin McElroy. <laughs> I, I don't I think I've heard Justin McElroy say it. Like I, yeah. it's like, oh. I, 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 maybe I brought it over. Yeah, because I've definitely... I, I may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you, maybe you're the origin of it. It could have been. I think, yeah. I think this might be an Armageddon uh, Deep Impact thing, Cole. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think I... I feel, I feel a lot of authorship over that idea. And now I feel somehow betrayed. Um, the, uh, you know, I've been, just been saying that forever. Um, but it is true. Right? Like a stealth system is only fun to the degree that you get caught. Like yeah. how fun it is when you get caught. Um, 
the uh, and you can do a lot of thing, you know, that clearing bases thing where it gets that MGS five comparison to it. Um, the way you can use stealth is in a lot of different ways. Like you can soften it up like in an MGS five or MGS three kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to soften mm-hmm. up the space by stealing their weapons, setting them on fire while they're sleeping. You know, you can you can do things like that. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, the combat in this game is 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 really satisfying. Um, you have some kind of high level maneuvers, um, as we talked about perfect guard and, uh, perfect, uh, uh, dodge. Yeah. Um, they can do that are, you can do a parry or if you dodge at the right time, mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of get these, uh, these big responses. I uh, love either this stuff. Lurie rush, which is the dodge one. Um, or if you parry, you just get a, a chance to, uh, to do some damage. You stun the enemy. Like finally nailing that down and being able to reflect a guardian's laser back at it. Yeah, like that, that is such a high risk, necessary. high reward. Good. What, what was yeah. that? that? It almost feels necessary, yeah. like, especially for the end game to like do that. But it is a really satisfying skill to learn. Yeah. You know, in no way is this like a, you know, character action game as it's not as really frame perfect as that. But it, it scratches a lot of that similar itch for me. Weird, weirdly, like it, it has one of the things about the combat in this game in general is that like it has a really high ceiling that it doesn't need to. Right. I guess, you know, so like. None of the encounters ever get so hard that you need to do every trick in the book other than like some of the high level Lionels, but you can, Mm -hmm. um, there's like a guy, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of just like, you can do a jump cancel into a bomb dash. Like all those things exist, like Mm -hmm. frame jabs, all those fighting game character action terms, like actually do exist for this. And there are YouTubes of people doing these advanced, uh, combat techniques where they show which buttons they're pressing. Yeah. Uh, in what order. And it's pretty crazy. Like there's this bow spin thing you can do that chews up enemies, like really, really quick that I could never quite pull off. But people have Mm -hmm. figured out ways to kind of take that bayonet of like character action kind of precision uh, and import it into this game. Again, you almost never need to, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, I got to the point where I could reliably fight Lionels uh, near the end with my more limited tool set, but it's cool that it allows the player that wants to fully explore the combat system the ability to make it really fun for themselves and really complicated. Yeah. It doesn't art like nothing about this feels very limited outside the durability or whatever, but like all of it feels like opportunities for, you know, player expression through yes. which systems they want to engage with. Right. Yes. Player expression is the, is the keyword right there. Yes. Um, you should talk about two uh, shields, you know, you can block, uh, but shields have durability. They will, they will lose durability when you block. Um, you do have to use a shield to parry. Um, you also have armor. Um, armor does not have durability. Armor will not break. Thank God. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be <laughs> see, there. That would be the, the thing for people to complain about. Uh, <laughs> and armor uh, has kind of special abilities that it has and you can upgrade it. Yes. Um, you know, so if you have a complete set, you can kind of get these different abilities. Um, I one of the only things in this game that I don't feel like is a trade like that I actually really dislike is the armor upgrade mm-hmm. uh, system. I don't like farming for ingredients. Yeah. Um, I don't like getting those high level, like the dragon farming thing is such a nice visual visual spectacle mm-hmm. that I don't like actually doing, um, which we'll talk about at some point. Yeah. Um, I guess when you talk, talk about creatures, but I don't actually like getting high level armor in this game. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't find that experience fun at all. Yeah. Um, I, I saw what it entailed and I said, Nope, I'm just going to try and get by without it. And I could, yeah, you don't have to. I mean, that's the thing too, is that's where I got to. I got to the level two armor and I was like, Oh, I need how many fucking, you know, <laughs> ancient <laughs> horns? like, like you ask me for three of these absolutely unique, like priceless objects <laughs> to make my shirt better. I don't think so, lady. <laughs> like it's yeah. not your mind. I um, actually, I did engage with that system and I thought, I mean, chasing the dragons was actually was pretty fun. And, and I mean, yeah, it is, a, it is a big haul, but the thing about 
having something that's permanent. You, I, my thought was I only need one really good set of combat armor, mm-hmm. and so I was willing to invest in that and go through that process. And the visual was nice. I mean, you're at the, the wherever you were incredible. at night or something. Yeah, yeah. The it's a neat, it's a neat element in the game. The first time you see one of the the dragons, which for people who don't know what we're talking about, um, like there are these there are three dragons that kind of appear in these three different areas. Um, it's amazing the first time you see them because it doesn't <laughs> feel right. Like it feels like oh shit, like something went wrong. I think that's the feeling they're going for with that blood moon. Mm-hmm. You know, is when I first saw yeah. one of these dragons, um, and they have these updrafts, and the only thing the dragons do, like it, it's not like oh you know, should, am I able to kill this thing? Should I be killing it? Is it a good thing? Is it an NPC? is that they kind of float through the air and you can shoot off up like farming materials off them. Mm-hmm. You, you glide in the air and you chip off bits of, of things that you trade in, you know, it, it, it having the, these beautiful majestic kind of image and the kind of epic feel of uh, going up in, and these updrafts and, and thing, thinking things contrasted with the really pedestrian, like, Oh, I have to do that two more times to get enough to get my armor to this level. <laughs> like it was really gamey yeah. Yeah. with this thing yeah. that is, I felt like it was kind of like transcendent looking. Yeah. You know, so there's there's a contrast there I didn't really care for. The the act of doing it and the feeling of having done it was enough reward for me to not feel like I needed to do it multiple times to reward stuff or to you know to upgrade yeah. stuff. Yeah, they're they're really cool though. It is a it is a really nice visual the first time you see them. Yeah. Um, and like the, the, I'm not saying I wanted them to be a big plot thing. I would have been more annoyed if they would have like camped out and told me a legend. You know, I didn't really want that either. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like, um, I like them as a mysterious thing in the in the air, just kind of floating through. Yeah, um, that's kind of how armor works. And mostly, you're going to be wearing armor. You're going to have a couple different sets, as we alluded to, for different kind of bonuses. Yeah. So. Yep. Um. So um, you're going to be fighting a lot of enemies in this, and a lot of them tend to be like humanoids, you know, bokoblins, you know, larger like Lizalfos kind of enemies. Uh, but a lot of like, you know, classic Zelda enemies are updated and used here, like the archer centaurs, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the Lionels. Yes. Uh, the Wizrobes um, act kind of differently and, and act differently in, in kind of 3D space. Specifically, they're kind of Zelda 1 enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. the Lionels and the Wizrobes are very Zelda 1. Yeah. You know, and, and that's intentional because, you know, as we, we kind of talked about a little bit, like the open structure of this mirrors the first Zelda more than anything. Yeah. So does the geography of the world, even a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the kind of new enemy here is we, and, and uh, John, you talked about these guys a little bit, um, the Guardian uh, enemies. Um, these are these kind of machine mechanical mecha things that are incredibly dangerous. Um, and I love these because they're introduced as uh, dead ones. You know, you find dormant ones, like well before you yes. find a live one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they shoot a laser that will not, uh, it'll break any shield you block with. Um, and if you're not at full health, we'll kill you. Um, you know, but you can, uh, parry their laser back to them. Um, yeah. really, really cool, you know, adds a, some really needed enemy variety. Early on in the game, it's unclear whether you can even engage, you can't engage with them early on, but it's unclear if you'll ever engage with them because they're so powerful. <laughs> well, my, yeah. Your, your yeah. bombs are, do, they do nothing to them. Yeah. 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 And even late in the game there, you get to the point you can manage them, but, they're still challenging it enough that you have to pay attention and keep stay on your game or they can really get to you. Yeah. Always keep moving, finding cover, things like that. They can blow through trees. Like trees are destructible. Um, yeah. So yeah. you can't rely on those for cover, uh, things like that. Um, I just thought, so one thing that I love about these, I made a note about this on Twitter, but it's worth repeating here. The sound effects that these things make, just the sound design of Guardian Encounters, the way that kind of like atonal beeping and booping comes up in the in the soundtrack 
um, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite pieces of sound design in games. I think <laughs> it is such yeah. a good, yeah. such a good motif uh, built around these, you know, these, uh, you know, dead ancient machines. Yeah, they're 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 cool. They're also, um, you know, those normal enemies. We'll talk about enemies as you run, we run into them. Most of that kind of specific talk will end up in the next episode, probably. But they're also mini bosses. Uh, mm-hmm. We should mention, and I would, yeah, I consider Lionels to be mini bosses as well. Yeah. Um, there are these uh, stone golems. There are these kind of puzzle enemies that live under the sand, uh, and Hinoxes, which are giant cyclops yeah. uh, enemies, and they're all pretty cute, pretty cool. Uh, much rarer than the uh, normal. You know, you're gonna you're spending a lot of time fighting bokoblins. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, So I've broken out these next couple of sections into important structures because so much of this is about, um, you know, the different places that you're going to and the functions that they serve in the, you know, in the the world map. Mm -hmm. Let's Uh, uh, let's go do a a glossary of uh, structures. Yeah. (laughs) You make it sound so (laughs) thrilling. Doesn't that sound cool, kids? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Open up your glossary of structures and turn to tower. <laughs> yes, the first one of these towers, uh, kind of borrowed on on loan from the Ubisoft collection. Uh, we have a world that is dotted with towers to climb. Um, some of them are pretty straightforward. Some of them are puzzles in and of themselves with enemies and obstacles and things like that. But once you get to the top, you're actually able to survey the land and get kind of a downloaded map of the region that you're in. Yeah, and these there'll be some kind of uh, this is kind of a fun first place to go to, yeah. you know, or like when you get to a new region. Um, the world is divided into, into regions, or fifteen of them, and uh, you're going to yeah. want to find these towers. Um, as we mentioned before, though, it's a little bit different than your Ubisoft version in that, like, you're manually marking things out. Yeah, uh, from the top, they also operate as fast travel points. Um, so very very useful to seek these out, and uh, they tend to be very pretty easy to see. Sometimes there's kind of minor puzzles to getting in. Yeah. Um, they'll either be guarded by enemies, or there will be. Uh, you know, it will be in the in in tar, so you can't actually climb from the bottom. You have to fly to it, or it'll be covered yep. by some kind of corruption. There are a couple of different kind of puzzles to get into these, but for the most part, you know, you can get into these when you find them, and it's a great thing to make a beeline for. If you're slow playing the game, as I was the first time I played it, you're one of the things I did was I just tried to go and find all the towers and fill out the map. Mm-hmm. It was about the third thing I ever did in the game. Yeah, I, I was did very similar. Yeah, uh, uh, after, you know, I, it was the first like five hours after i got off the plateau yeah yeah um which is fun because then you're going you're 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 foreheartin it into <laughs> an area that you're not supposed to be at and that's you know this game at its best is when you're desperate i think yeah yeah, yeah. definitely um another structure is the outpost and we've talked about these kind of when we, when we mentioned the combat and also some of the unpredictability but you have these outposts where any enemy monsters are kind of holed up and you know living their lives you know probably talking uh sharing their dreams for the family that they're going to have once they get back home uh, stuff like that. Uh, sometimes they're in huts. Sometimes they're just kind of out in these tree cities, or they're in their giant skull caves. And then when you uh, you, you roll up for their for their loot, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, um, you, you you fight these guys. I think these are really fun. I wish there was a little bit more variety yep. uh, to them. Like that skull cave, I've seen a lot, and like it takes a lot for me to be sick of a giant skull. <laughs> uh, like it doesn't, it doesn't really happen, but. I want a little bit more variety and a little bit more consistent rewards mm-hmm. uh, to these, but they are extremely fun. The thing that made these, uh, you know, that put a little tiny like touch of gray to the, the silver cloud of these for me was starting the game over because when I first played, like every one of these felt, you know, really new mm-hmm. and kind of cool. Like, Oh, here's an outpost. I'm going to do it for the fun of it. And I want to get those five bomb arrows or whatever. And then when I started the game over again, like it, it was just like, I already know what's here. Like, 
I've already done this. You know, it, mm. it didn't have like high replay value for me. Yeah. Doing these outposts. So I think these are really cool. I think it, it's really fun. I think that the, uh, there's maybe, you know, you, I got to the point where I skipped them, yeah. I guess is my point. Like early on, I loved it. You know, it was really hard scrabble. I liked going back to them when I was very powerful, mm. uh, and kind of wiping yeah. the floor, but near the, you know, for the last like 10 hours of the game, 10, 15 hours of the game, I ran by every one of these, you know, I just yeah, went to, yeah. yeah. So starts out great, but like, you know, amazingly fun. The first one you see, and there's tons of, uh, you know, emergent gameplay <laughs> here. Like these guys set up their camps near lots of explosive barrels. Uh, you know. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work to store your boulders at the top of that hill, but Hey, who am yeah. I to judge? <laughs> you know, like, like over metallic things like they, they will, they will give you play. You know, this is a great place for player expression. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else on uh, kind of outposts, enemy outposts? No, let's move on to shrines. I think this is, I think people are waiting for us to get to this, uh, uh <laughs> firework factory. Yeah. Get to the shrines. <laughs> Um, these are huge. This is this is one of the biggest differences between this and previous Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Um, is that rather than uh, having you know maybe ten or like eight dungeons that are filled with Zelda ass puzzles, they have there's 120 little you know shrines, most of which have one one or two Zelda ass puzzles. Yeah, or like one puzzle with a, a chest that you can see off in the distance. And you either you, know, you you solve the main puzzle, but then you think, how can I use these constituent parts to get that uh, to get that item that's over there? Yeah, they have an optional. Every one of these has an yeah. optional chance that I. Yeah. Um, Usually a good weapon or something in there. Yeah. 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 Uh, and to bear out the uh, the Metal Gear comparisons, this is uh, very much like a VR missions kind of thing almost. I was going to use that exact same example. That's what I because that was one of the first things that ever kind of occurred to me. It does not. It's not set in the wild. It's a very sterile kind of futuristic environment mm-hmm. um which makes it so all your climbing doesn't work except if they plan for that specifically but yeah it's very much feels like vr missions in the sense that you're not living in the same universe as when you're upstairs or when you're out in the open out in the wild i like upstairs as <laughs> yeah. breath of the upstairs breath yeah. of the upstairs downstairs <laughs> yeah it's an upstairs downstairs kind of comedy uh, yeah. thing like oh wait what them guardians of upstairs oh shove them up <laughs> <laughs> Um, my Sega Genesis. Well, Um, I never. (laughs) Is it it Saint Swimmin's Day already? Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's um, these things are they feel very alien, and these are supposed to be from, you know, the Sheikah, yeah, right? You know, the the world kind of before uh, before Zelda times, (laughs) Um, you know. Uh, so you find kind of find these dotted throughout the world. Your your slate will kind of give you you know hot and cold beeps as you get closer to them as a default. Uh, but you primarily want to hit these whenever you run into them. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a lot from them. Uh, you get a fast travel point, which is kind of the secret uh, thing mm-hmm. that you want, and you get a uh, a quarter of either a heart or stamina piece, right. or you get, you get a thing that you can exchange for a quarter of either a heart or a stamina <laughs> piece. You, you you get one fourth of an experience point, where one experience point will take you. To the yes. next level, yeah. Uh, 
Um, one of the things in that Joseph Anderson video that I think is one of the most unarguable things is I really wish you just made the choice there. Yeah. Like when you got to the end, it says, do you want a fourth of a heart piece or a fourth of a stamina piece? Yeah. Do you want to cash in your, uh, your, your Chuck E. Cheese fun bucks? Yeah. Or no, just like, you know, it would not be cashing in. It's like, oh. do you want one, do you want one fourth of this Chinese yo-yo or do you want one fourth of this like novelty pencil? Mm, I'll take the As mustache comb. Or mustache. Whichever one you want to have represents stamina. <laughs> but like instead of having to gain them up and then make a trip to the town to trade a man or a trip to the Temple of Time to trade a man. I think yeah. that's unnecessary bit of friction. I wish you could just do it here. I'm mm-hmm. um, just going there. But you, uh, so that's a big reason to, to get them. Um, but also it's where the content of the game is. Like you're doing this to level up, but you're also, this is the puzzles. Like this mm-hmm. is where the Zelda puzzles are for the most part. It's a huge part of the game itself. It's 40% of the game probably. Yeah. There are 120 yeah. of them. Um, and uh, narratively, these are designed uh, by these great sages in order to test the would-be hero. So these are explicitly tests, and they they have names that give you little hints uh, that are essentially, you know, kind of belie that they are tests. Yes. Yeah, uh, and as we've said multiple times, there are way too many of these to cover them individually, but we can uh, kind of look at these broad categories that I pulled from the strategy guide. Uh, we can, <laughs> we can, and we can talk about kind of our favorite examples uh, from some of these. I, I find it hard even, like, there are a couple, I know that there are examples that I have of uh-huh. ones. It's really hard for me to recall individual, you know, kind of shrines. I think these run together, and and part of it is, it's not so much even, even ones that I really liked, I enjoyed the puzzles in them. It's hard to remember a unit of puzzle uh, for yeah. me. I think some of that aesthetic stuff ends up doing a disservice to this. Like, I like that this has that uh, kind of Sheikah aesthetic that's necessary to show that it's a different area. But it does mean that you spend a lot of time in seamy-looking zones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So without visual, different visual theming, it's kind of hard to feel that they're really different. Like when I got to the, there's one of them where, um, and, I, and also they all have names that are in, in the the Sheikah language. So it's really hard to remember the names of any of them too, which makes them hard to talk about. But um, the yeah. one where it's pitch dark when you go down there, I was so excited because it didn't look the same. <laughs> as all of them like it was just like oh this is really cool like this is going to be a different kind of thing um so it's, it's really i mean we can talk about specific ones they remember uh i have a hard time with that yeah. you know so like, yeah, i couldn't do that at all no <laughs> you guys can do that i, I will have a hard time no, doing that no no they all could not them. yeah uh, the, the ones that stick out most to me are the ones with the motion gimmicks and also the ones yeah, that exactly. are just on the on the overworld like the ones that you know like the the challenge is getting to them or navigating a you know a part of the landscape like those are like those are the uh, all stars for me. The mazes are so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll let's uh, talk about the different types. So so don't necessarily count on us to talk about a, a bunch of specific examples. And if if you're there, like when are they going to get to the shrine of Rocket Nod? You know, and then, <laughs> and like uh, a test requires patience in italicized text under that or something like that. Um. It just it's kind of beyond the scope of this. There are 120 of them, and they do really run together. They kind of become a holistic thing as opposed to an individual unit, um, you know, in retrospect, like when you're actually playing the game, the fact that they're individual units does huge things for the pacing of the game, like being able to, you know, in those first, like when you're first playing the game and it's like, here's, you know, a couple hours of exploration, then I'm going to do a shrine for 20 minutes and then I'm going to go do a town and then I'm going to go to a base. Like that pacing is really, really key, Mm -hmm. but it just, it does make these run together. So, Apologies for not hitting individual shrines as much as maybe some listeners would like. Yeah. It works yeah. great on a portable gaming system that because if these were giant dungeons in the traditional Zelda sense, you could easily get lost in what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Where these are so short, you can normally get to the end or if you had to stop and come back, you're right where you were. They're small and and just 
they're bite-sized yeah. in a good way that kind of keeps you coming back. If you stop midway, yeah. like restarting one is not that big of a deal at all. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about the time, the, the types. Yeah. Um, so a lot of them, uh, kind of test your rune abilities, right? They will set up obstacle courses, uh, mostly gates and locks and things like that to kind of test your ability to remember what your Sheikah, your Sheikah slate can do. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, and these tend to be kind of more uh, traditional puzzles. Yes. The um, so you have uh, you know things that rely on the physics of your different your different runes. You know, so you will have um, maybe you have to shuttle a bomb through a series of tubes. Um, maybe you have to uh, freeze a gear in a specific spot in a large kind of clockware clockwork kind of kind of area maybe there's water so you just use fucking fucking chronosis <laughs> you know and just use it until you win the poop you know um so there are a bunch a bunch of those um and these are just kind of it's like a, a single serving like handy snack zelda puzzle mm-hmm. you know it's, it's like mm-hmm. a lunchable yeah it, it, it is it is it is the it's a bowl. Mm-hmm. yeah um so some of these get a little bit frustrating because like that, that looseness is generally an asset for the, uh, for, for the, for the game. However, sometimes when it's like, I need to magnesis a bowl so I can carry this ball from pool to pool or something like that. Um, it would be very difficult to kind of keep things together while I was doing that. So sometimes that fiddliness would get in the way of actually executing what I needed to do. Never to the point where it was like a deal breaker or anything, but it is one of those times where those things were at odds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more broadly, uh, they're ones that don't really require you to use your uh, runes that much. You know, you like you will end up having to having to use them, but uh, like ones that are mostly about timing, about uh, avoiding mm-hmm. you know hazards and stuff like that. These you know usually look like uh, like Indiana Don- uh, Indiana Jones dungeons. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Next type here uh, doesn't lean on the uh, on the runes as much. These are kind of timing related puzzles, uh, kind of dealing primarily with periodic hazards, rolling boulders, uh, doors that open and close on uh, on on timers, things like that. Uh, basically, puzzles that look like Indiana Jones obstacle courses. Yes, kind of agility focused things. Um, you know, keeping blocks between you and some lasers, shooting arrows through moving holes things like that yeah yeah Uh, yeah. and these are all these are all good they you know they kind of sometimes these are like um one section of like an american gladiators thing you know it's like run up this this hill and these uh uh these or like go on this conveyor belt and you have to duck and move out of certain shapes you know these kind of feel like game show kind of things to me (laughs) try try and ignore nitro's tremors yeah (laughs) and i can't yeah um yeah uh but these are generally good yeah um Cerebral uh, puzzles, uh, the next category. That's which, literally um, pulled from the strategy guide. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't think of a better name for those. That's <laughs> Cole just decided to call these. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> the uh, cerebral puzzles. So these tend to be kind of more about um, more traditional puzzles, like observing the environment, finding patterns, uh, yep. putting uh, kind of grids of putting these orbs into small orb slots. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of things. Uh, none of these are super mind bendy. Uh, but some of them, you know, my favorite ones of these deal with current. Yes. Um, there are a lot of these that deal yeah. with electricity and kind of connecting different currents. And these are ones which 
there tends to be a lot of room for kind of emergent gameplay. You know, so you can use <laughs> you can, other. You can break weapons. this. Yeah, you can break the current puzzles by using metal weapons and lining them up. I've seen some pretty interesting things online of people doing that. Yep. Yeah, because, I love that because if it conducts current outside, if it'll attract lightning, then yeah, you know, it's fair game. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, super cool. These these are probably my my favorite uh, as as a category. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that felt um, a little bit less like traversal kind of Zelda puzzle and more like a traditional puzzle puzzle. Yeah. Um, right. A little bit like a, like a, like a, a callback to like top down Zelda puzzles, which were about mm-hmm. like pushing blocks and stuff like that, lining up patterns, breaking patterns, things like that. Yeah. It was like, like 2D, 2D Zelda puzzles in 3D space. Um, um, the motion control puzzles are real gimmicky. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> Did, I mean, you guys, you guys don't like these, right? Not, like I don't have to I, feel like I... I didn't mind them. They weren't that common. Else, and, yeah. yeah. There aren't that many of them. I, I really hate these. Um, mostly, again, I, I played my Switch entirely in handheld mode. Mm-hmm. So doing these things. So what these are is essentially um, there'll be like a platform or a maze that your Switch will then correspond to uh, that you have to kind of use the gyroscope within it to kind of move these elements of the thing, kind of like that old uh, board game Labyrinth, which we've talked about a bunch. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just I found these very fiddly, like extremely fiddly. Um, and I was looking at the screen so I, I could see if, you know, this may be working if I had the TV, you know, and, and then, then I could I, I wasn't looking at the thing I was actually manipulating. I played this primarily on the TV. I found it wonky on that. So I put it into the put it in the switch, like actually mm-hmm. carrying it portable so I could look down on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't quite determine, like, what is what is neutral? Like, like well, mm-hmm. what is the center? Like, what angle do I have to hold this at to make it uh, to make it flat? Uh, it gets especially hairy and like there was one shrine. I, I don't know if this is a pattern where the motion control was almost like a, you were moving a golf club kind of thing. Yes. And yeah, I, I was about to say that. Yeah. The hammer. Yeah. yeah find finding the right angle to move that ended up being, be, being a little bit tricky and took more time than I wanted. There, there was no real penalty for failure. So it was really just, just kind of messing yeah. around with it. Um, for me, I think that the, <laughs> these things, they exist as like, Hey, yeah, like, you know, it's Nintendo, Saying this is what our system can do, we're gonna we're gonna design a game around this. But even more so than that, like the example everybody brought up on different podcasts was that first labyrinth puzzle. Well, if you just turn over the if you just turn over the maze, the back of it's flat, and then you don't have to fuck with the maze at all. You just have to like throw it throw it into the right yeah. channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't do that with the golf club ones. You know, and right. and to John, to your point, like these are rare. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and there's yeah. nothing, it, it felt bad. Like I would never, like, I wasn't going to go into a shrine, see it and then leave, but I could, yeah. like, I could, if I just like, I hate this, I'm just not going to do it. It's, it's a drop in the bucket. Right. Like, yeah. you know, there's maybe 10 of these things out of, out of 120, mm-hmm. you know, there, there aren't very many of them. Um, so they're not that big a deal. I just never found them fun or good. And I wish that game companies would stop shoehorning and motion controls into things. Cause I, I think that it's never good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The first time you find one, if you can get it to work, it's it's interesting to see what they're doing. But you're right. For a game that everything is just on point with the control system, it kind of falls apart. And that's a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. And I can also imagine the the hypothetical user who, you know, just found the right like calibration or whatever by accident and for whom this wasn't a problem. Like, like, oh, what are you guys talking about? They work great for me. Even if it's not a problem, I just I wonder what kind of gains you're getting from it. Yeah. Like even if I put myself in that position where it's not difficult, is it that novel to like move my little screen around and have it correspond to a golf club? 
you know, at this point in, in 2018, like, is it that cool? You know, I just don't know. I don't think you're getting very much from it. Yeah. You know, even if you're not losing that much from it. Um, I guess, you know, more than the cerebral puzzles, I should have mentioned this, um, these maze puzzles. Um, I really like, I love this so much. They, like, visually, these things are so fucking cool looking, like from a distance. Like, just yeah. Like this, when you see them one, on the map, that's like, that's where I'm going next. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to yeah. be there as soon as I can. The snow one, like looking at that through the, the drifting snow, looks like the cover of like the best sci fi novel. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like yeah. it is yeah. massive cube that is off the, uh, that is off the shore. Mm hmm. <laughs> I love really, it. Really, really. I love it so much. Those tall walls. Um, yeah, uh, that that uh, like you, you could climb if you wanted to, but uh, just it is so good. And like, so the mazes, like, yeah, you can definitely identify them from the map. But like, this is part of a, you know, like the the, the as part of a set of other puzzles where it's like just reading the environment and saying like, okay, it says there's a shrine here. There must be a step of you know a, a few steps of things that I can do to like even just find the door. And finding the door is its own puzzle. Right. Yeah. There, yes. There's there's one like up in the up in the northwest, up in the mountains, where it's like, okay, there's this massive there's this massive uh kind of stone door. Um, and if you follow it up, it's at the bottom of this hill. Well, there are a couple of snowballs, like these tiny snowballs. Well, because everything's physical, yeah. you throw the snowball and you watch as it rolls and gathers mass, hits and blows the door open. You find this massive underground cavern that has a gigantic uh dragon skeleton in it. Um, mm -hmm. and then the shrine entry is there and like there's nothing to the shrine. It's just a it's just a room with the the, the Sheikah sage and the item that you're gonna get. And you know, finding it was the what, what was the challenge, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's really three things. There's the shrines themselves, and most of them are available and open. There's some where you have to do some kind of quest to open them or get access to them, mm -hmm. and often that quest itself just gives once you get the shrine, you have succeeded in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But like the ones that are integrated with the overworld, I think ended up being the most satisfying for me. Um, those, was, those are really cool. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, um, you know, they vary a little bit. Like some of them are, are less cool, you yeah. know, but it is, it is really neat that they put ones, uh, they're there. I wish that instead of there being a shrine that you went down into, I kind of wish that the item was just at the end, mm -hmm. you know, there, cause there's, there's some loading screen kind of stuff with, with these, especially with those shrines that don't do anything Yeah, that like, I got a little sick of those cutscenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but these are, these do tend to be also like among the strongest. Yeah. I love that uh, that spiral in the northeast. Mm, yeah, <laughs> where you yeah. like you have the metal ball at the very end. You think, okay, well, I'll just run this to the center. Oh, there's deep water. Oh, I have to run around the entire spiral and fight enemies. Yeah, there's cool. tons of enemies too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you have to you have to keep that thing going. There's also um, there's a really good one too. I guess I you know I can speak of some specific ones. There's a really good one where you have to get four balls onto a platform. Um, it's kind of in the northwest in the mid and like a, the rainy zone. Is this a Zyborn clock joke, Gary? <laughs> No, okay. no, no, it's the, um, <laughs> this works nothing like time. Okay. Uh, the, uh, so like a couple of the balls you can, uh, just kind of throw up on, onto the, uh, onto the area and put them in the spot. But there are two of them that you have. It's pretty much just says like, what do you want to do? You know, like use your physics tricks. Mm -hmm. So like one of them, you know, I golfed over with the uh, stasis. The other one, I ended up doing like a, an insane contraption of like Octorok balloons mm -hmm. and the, uh, the wind leaf, you know, to get it over there. But it was really open. You know, so sometimes these are very like they're, they can be endurance tests. They can be mazes. They can be, um, you know, spotting something out in the environment. You know, even some of them are just getting to a place like some of them are just like this is in a hole on a mountain, you know, and if you can get yeah. up to that hole on the mountain, like there you go. Yeah. You know, here, here's a here's an empty, largely empty shrine Yeah. Uh, for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are combat shrines. 
which have these kind of roving um, guardian enemies in them. And there are three categories, minor, modest, and major uh, tests of strength. And those are sprinkled throughout the world as well. So you can go into one that's a major test of strength and not really be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, at early levels i would back out of those immediately yeah. like i'm happy to have the fast travel point i will come back later yeah. yeah there's a classic meme on i guess reddit other places where you know the famous scene in the simpsons where um it's grandpa simpson walking in the bordello and he takes <laughs> oh, off his hat sure. and notice <laughs> yeah. and he take and he puts it back on and walks straight out and it'll say a major test of strength and it'll have <laughs> yeah. him putting his hat on putting right back out <laughs> uh, um yeah these, these are good i wish that they were uh, a greater variety of what you bought yeah you know, in these, like, and these yeah. are pretty significant. I think these are 20 of the, the shrines or test of strength. So it's mm -hmm. a pretty, it's a mm -hmm. fairly decent chunk that are just kind of fights. Yeah. Uh, these, the big thing with shrines, like, I, I, I love this approach to Zelda puzzles. I love doing it in these bite-sized things that make tons of sense for a portable game. And I generally don't like, like, kind of late-era Zelda dungeons very much. Um, I wish that, I think that, like, if you had trimmed away some of the fat of these, like, this could, there could have been 80 really, really great ones of these. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like, I think that there's a little bit too much filler content, and you can tell the balance. Like, they needed to have a certain number to make it so you can get a certain amount of health and stamina, yeah. uh, you know, to make you uh, plausible for the, the different kind of demands for that. But I just, there are some of them I just found, like, just kind of not good enough, you know? Um, and there is, there is a lot of, like, kind of anticipation in finding them. You know, you get to one, um, you know, sometimes even if it's not a puzzle to get to it, it can be difficult to find it. Um, you find it, you go through these kind of loading screens, you see this kind of pomp and then getting down there and having there not be a whole lot to it mm -hmm. you know, yeah. is sometimes disappointing. Either the puzzle is too simple or it's just a fight. Um, or, you know, it's an environmental one and the puzzle is not good yeah. to get to the environmental yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, I wish these were trimmed a little bit. I think these are mostly good though. Yeah. You know, and I love what yes. they do structurally and pacing wise. Agreed. Yeah. So every one of these shrines that you do will give you a spirit orb. This is one fourth of a level up. Uh, some of them give you powerful weapons or shields, but because everything is destructible, um, you know, those are not kind of the boons that you would imagine they would be. Mm -hmm. um, so these soul orbs that you get, um, you know, the, the the quarter of a level up, you exchange them. So you get a, you know, either a heart container or another wedge for your stamina wheel, another segment. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we said a while back, like you're going to be tempted toward hearts, but like, finishing out your second stamina ring is a really good priority to adopt. Yeah. I did Matching not do that. Stamina. It was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I, I did 13 hearts, went straight to the master sword and then went back. But there, there's um, nothing wrong with that too. Cause they do allow you to respec. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and that, that's what I should have done. I should have put something on stamina, then respect after, you know, respect, gotten the sword and then respect again. But I did it, not do that. that. That's what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. Like just getting, yeah. getting the, and this, this time around, I ended up beating it with the, the minimum amount to get the master sword and ended up doing mostly those in stamina. Yeah. Um, cause as we'll talk about, uh, when we get to crafting, um, yeah. there's a lot of ways to, you can, you can break having low health a lot yeah. easier than you can break having low stamina, but you can break both of those yeah. things yeah. kind of make it for, for lower levels. Yeah. It is so wise that they gave you the, the ability to respec, though. Yeah, yeah. That, that would have been intolerable. Yep. You know, that that's that kind of like, as much as this is kind of a harder, more kind of hardcore, you know, for, I hate that dichotomy in games, but more of a hardcore game than Zelda games tend to be. Um, that is one of those Nintendo-style ease of use fun considerations that I'm really thankful for. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um. So now we're going to talk about every single Korok seed. 
<laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about the shrines. However, um, right. Korok C-22B, the Ring of Stones. This um, one is also in the Dueling Peak region. Yeah, this one is also in the Dueling Peak region. This one is when you pick up a stone at coordinates 625 by 322. <laughs> um, I mean, should we talk about, do you have Korok Seeds in here? Or we should talk about those guys now, just in general? I, I just have that here as part of the subheader on progression, because that is a way that you can improve. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, did, I didn't see that you had moved into the uh, the progression progression zone. Um, Korok seeds, like, so these are things that are, it's really, like, weirdly enough, there are fewer types of these puzzles than any other type of thing in the game, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And there are 900 of them, so they get repeated way more often. Like, Korok seeds, I think, are, like, a lot of things in this game started out as feeling like an A-plus thing to me and then ended, I like them a lot less than that. Yeah, because after you play long enough, you can't help but like just see the strings and just, you know, here they are. Yeah. You know, initially the first time I I saw, oh, that's a weird stone. I bet you there's something under it, mm -hmm. and then there was. It was thrilling. You know, yeah. it was awesome. Like, oh, there's that's a, that, that's kind of an unnatural pattern for those things to be in, huh? Yes, uh, you know, maybe yeah. there's something to that, and there was, and this is the thing that's there, mm -hmm. you know, for it. Um, but they just end up becoming they're just too for me. There are kind of too few ways that they do this, and they're never. Even the puzzly ones are not really puzzles. Like, they have one, they're just kind of tasks mm -hmm. uh, that, that you do. And I ended up kind of resenting these things uh, near the end. Like, I, I saw things that were definitely Korok seeds and would not go get them. Because mm. I, yeah. I just was like, ah, you know, I don't really want to watch that animation. I don't want to hear that little jingle. I don't want to see that weird little leaf freak. I never want to go talk to Broccoli Dad. Like, <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> like, I don't want to. I kind of opted out of this at a certain point once I had enough of the upgrades. Yeah. And, and didn't end up liking this that much. I think there, there are too many of these and they're not they're kind of not good enough to sustain. I, I was real but, live and let live about it. John, did you engage with this at all? I if, if I saw one, I would get it. I, I think that's probably the best advice to people, unless you are a completionist to an insane degree. If you see one, get it. When next time you run into Broccoli Guy, do your inventory thing. Just kind of take them as they come, but don't seek them out unless you yeah. really want to spend your time. I mean, there are people. There are people in the community who have done all of these and who have told horror yeah. stories about, like, I got 899 of them, but I wasn't keeping track. So I had to go back to, I had to find a map, yeah. go back to every location and see which one I missed. Yeah, th yeah. that makes me want to jump off a bridge like, they, like the, yeah. the, the, you know, that. Like, that's depressing as hell. Like, I, yeah. I you know, and it, you're not really meant to and you don't need to. Like, right. Like, if you do all of them and you get all of those inventory slots, like there's a huge uh, diminishing return for the value of these. Like early on, it only costs a little bit. You know, it's always going to be the same number amount of effort yeah. to uh, to find one of these. But each Koroxy goes less and less far as you go on, as far as meaningful upgrades go. Yeah. Like you need them yeah. less and it costs more. Mm -hmm. So from two different angles, it is less, you know, less worth it. Yeah. Like your, your game... first two extra like weapon slots make a big difference. But yeah. beyond that, it, you know, it ends up being a little bit, uh, you know, you, you, you stop bumping into the ceiling. Yeah. Like the, the, the game wants yeah. you to find about 100 of them. Right. You know, yeah. throughout the course of the game and anything more than that, like there's no reason to do it other than like the game literally kind of makes fun of you for getting all of them. I think that you get awarded like a golden poop <laughs> item yeah. of some kind. Yeah. Like it, it you know, it, the game does not it's want like, you to do this. I mean, that's funny, but it's also kind of a dick move. It is a little bit of a, a dick move. I, I just I wanted these to be, you know, I, I liked the idea of the world being kind of full of puzzles, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and that the, these things represented. I just wanted these to be a little bit better. What I was going to say is the flip side of it is, would you want to put 900 seeds behind something really cool to have at the end of the game? Or is it better for them to allow the completionists to have something that they can do, but 
if they want to do it, they're not going to get a lot for it. Like, would you want the best armor set in the game hidden behind 900 Korok seeds? No, Probably not. I, no. no, I would just prefer there be 100 Korok seeds that were all fun to find. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. completionist can find all 100 of them, and I could find all 100 of them because they're fun to find. You <laughs> right. know? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm never yeah. in, in favor of bad content. In, in games yeah. like this has been a big thing uh in the discussion around like mario odyssey too mm-hmm. because there yeah, are so yeah. many uh you know moons you can get in that game you do it for nothing they're not fun to find it's just they're sitting around yeah. you know and it's like yeah. well it's not a meaningful upgrade to me in terms of mechanical sense it's literally just if i want to watch pretty lights and a, and a little jingle play mm-hmm. you know for, for not mm-hmm. doing anything and there's that avatar versus player enjoyment like the game treating you like you did something amazing when you didn't do anything that i always get frustrated by so i wouldn't have wanted them to hide the best armor i'm glad they hit a a joke item or or a cosmetic thing you know Mm -hmm. behind that but it just uh i just so they started out feeling very cool and eventually became something that i felt really good ignoring the the fact fact that there are 900 of them makes it feel like it's a special cake for homer to ruin like this is this is just there for people who have that impulse yeah i think so too yeah. yeah Um, and some yeah. of them are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a couple of them that are yeah. like dexterity challenges. Like when these involved doing kind of cool archery challenges or climbing challenges, I like them. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of those. Um, and the first iteration of a puzzle is neat. You know, yeah. it, it just felt like, you know, the first time I saw two shrines with an apple and one empty one, and I was like, what if I put an apple there? That was really <laughs> neat. But the fact that that does get repeated, you yeah. know, maybe 60 times, yeah. like, the, you know, in the, out of the 900, like there are just a lot of those. And it's like, that's that's tedious a purpose that these serve um is that you know with a game that has this many like peaks mountains and just kind of like places where you look at it and you think oh i want to go there and you go there you know the open world cliche korok seeds and kind of korok challenges are ways for the developer to have something to put up there to acknowledge that yes you were supposed to get here and here's a little treat for doing it you know I, I, i think that is a that is a valuable piece of vocabulary it, it definitely does, but I think that the fact that it is becomes like a non-treat. Yeah. You know, it starts out as a treat, but becomes a treat that you don't need or want, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point. Like, the intrinsic value of getting that treat, like, you're not doing a fun trick for the treat, mm-hmm. and you, uh, you, you've you got a lot of treats already. Yeah. Kind of undercuts that. And I think that ends up kind of being true about the treasure chest and outpost as well. Yeah. You know, like, at a certain point, like, I stop wanting what it's giving me, so the joy I take in this game has to be the intrinsic value of doing it. Yep. Yeah. Which goes really far, Mm -hmm. you know, like it is, it is just fun to do things for the sake of doing it for most of the game, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of things that just like starts out a, you know, 150%, like starts out in extra credit mode, you know, and then ends up like 92% (laughs) for me. Like it still ends up being great, but it loses a little luster. I guess my point, I don't know if we actually said we, we talked around it, but what these things do is give you extra inventory slots. Um, you have a certain number of shields, bows and weapons you can carry. And these, you can trade into a gigantic broccoli monster who I hate in order to get uh, more slots for those things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a a Maraca swinging, uh, beast. Yes. Who runs away from you. Like, I really wish this guy didn't move around too. like, (laughs) yeah, so frustrating the first time it happened. Like, why? Why, why, why? So, yeah. It ties into one of the cool features. I think that was added later in the game. You, you, when you go to the map, you can actually look at your character's entire progress. It'll like play a, that is so it'll cool. play a little target of where everywhere you've been in mm-hmm. the game in sequence, um, which is a really fun feature to kind of just look at and see how long you played and what you did. But when you see these maps from people that are Korok hunters, they, <laughs> they, they do this like search. I'm sure you've all seen it online. Like you're mowing a lawn. 
Uh-huh. They could do these searches up and down and left and right across every square inch of this map, which I don't think you're ever really supposed to cover every square inch. And it's it's impressive, but also terrifying. <laughs> it's a little bit like a like a like in, family in, circus. <laughs> yeah, family circus. Yeah. Like 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 an actual map. Like my map was family circus. Um, in dare in dare class, did you guys ever have like here are some pictures of the webs that spiders have uh, weaved or woven yes. uh, while, while yes. under like different substances. And like, here's the one like cocaine and it's like all over the place. Here's the LSD one. It's like incomplete. Like I just, I can't help but draw the parallel between that. Like this is the map of somebody on Korok seats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So. Yep. 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 Um, there's not the other kind of bit of progression that you're controlling other than just like finding weapons, uh, doing shrines and finding Korok seeds is uh, great fairy fountains. Um, these are pretty well hidden mm-hmm. and it always, it feels really significant when you find one. Yeah. You know, there's only four of them and they scale the game. Uh, the first one you find has kind of a static value, but you can find them in any order. The second one you find has increased value, etc. cetera. Um, these are when gigantic kind of like horny women. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that to, you know, to be flip, like they're really suggestive. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Um, will trade you crafting materials to upgrade armor. Yes. And uh, the first one you run into can do level one armor. The second one, level two, as you go up, they get increasingly rare ingredients um, that include those dragon bits that we referred to earlier. Yeah. 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 So um, I just did level two uh, on this playthrough and was fine. You know, so this is, if you want to get really, really powerful armor, you definitely can and find the rest of these. They're kind of fun to find. And it's also a place where you can find fairies. Uh, which are a special kind of insect that you can uh, or revive you when you die. Or if you're a monster, you can definitely cook them into food. Uh, <laughs> so like, they're really you know, very sentient-like, and you can definitely yeah. turn them into potions. Gives your cobbler some extra sparkle. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so we have a dangling important structure that we haven't talked about, but they are different than shrines. Um, I'm talking about the divine beasts. So there are four of these. This is the body of the main quest of the game. Like this is the spine. You're going to kind of, uh, uh, reclaim them from Ganon's control. Um, and, uh, revive the ghost of the hero who is, uh, you know, piloting them. Um, mm. and it takes you to like the different kingdoms of the different races of Hyrule. Yes. Yeah, each of them have a divine beast uh, in their backyard, essentially. Um, these have story significance that so we'll talk about more mm-hmm. uh, in the next episode. Um, but kind of uh, what these things do in the game is that they function kind of like old Zelda dungeons um, a little bit. Like they're a little bit looser than that, uh, you know, and they all have kind of the same. They have kind of different concepts, but they all have a singular gimmick and that you can move them and articulate them because they are gigantic animals. Love that. It's like being in a gigantic clockwork, you know, uh, elephant. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you can move the elephant's trunk or it's a gigantic clockwork bird and you can move the, the bird's wings yep. and change its yaw control. <laughs> um, and this is how you kind of solve uh, puzzles and get to the different treasure chests and the different nodes that you have to, to ping while you're within. Yes. They follow a similar rhythm. Like you, you know, do the, you do the approach, you get inside, find the map, uh, hit these terminals and then you know ultimately 
release the kind of corrupt spirit of Ganon that is kind of piloting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, fight a boss. These are actually optional, uh, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, you don't have to do these. They just take off bits of end Ganon's health. Right. We're doing them. And you get a special power for each one of them, which we should we should talk about uh, those powers. Yes. Um, I, I have them at the end of each section um, in, mm. the, in the next episode. Yeah, um, they impact a lot of mechanical stuff. Yeah, you know, so yeah. yeah, it feels like they're they're kind of structural. But you do, well, you won't mention that you get them. But I think it's worth kind of chatting them up real quick because mm-hmm. um, they do feel general. Um, uh, Vivali's Gale, which we mentioned, allows you to do kind of a uh, three times do this huge uh, gust of wind to go up into the air, and this is huge and will aid in uh, exploration. Um, so we talked about going to the northwest beast first. That's why. Yes. Um, yeah. That that is the only power that really changes uh, traversal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a way to give yourself an instant tower, which sounds like an, like a an ED pill. I'm yes, realizing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, another one is uh, is Mifa's Grace. Uh, this is what you get from the Zora area. Uh, this is like a re-raise ability. Like if you lose all of your healths, uh, healths, your hearts, <laughs> um, all of your healths is uh, then, then uh, uh, you will uh, you know revive. I think with full health or with uh, with five with five hearts, like a second with chance. with full health and uh, some extra spirit hearts. Oh yeah, armor. Yes. yeah. Um, you get a uh, I can't remember Durax guard or what have you. Mm-hmm. Durak, is that right? Um, which allows you to uh, block and block all damage and not lose a shield durability. I think three times. Yeah, uh, when it's charged up. It's like 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 three three free free hits. Yeah. Uh, and the final um, one, which I don't think I used once. Yeah, me, me either. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I didn't did not use this. Yeah, it is uh, Urbosa's Fury, which uh, lets you kind of charge up and release a thunder uh, area of effect attack. Yeah. Um, and all of these, it's are actually on... pretty useful if you're if you're fighting a boss or something, and you're going and doing the spin. It, you know, you basically have the choice of wailing on the opponent at the end. If you do that first, it's a pretty useful attack. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. If you if you play the DLC and you have to fight refight some of these bosses, it's helpful to have. I, I tried it when I first got it uh, once, but I always th- like the same way you guys forgot about runes that you had. I forgot that I had yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, like after I beat that, you know, that was the last uh, divine beast that I beat. It was like I'm gonna go and try out the tower, and then promptly forgot about it. Have you guys tried to fight Ganon at the end without defeating these divine beasts? No. <laughs> I've read, and I haven't either. But I've read this. What you said that it takes down the health. Obviously, you see that happen. Mm-hmm. I've read you have to fight these. If you don't defeat one of it's, these beasts before both. the battle, you have to beat them before you beat Ganon. What? Yeah, it, it's both. Like they show up yeah. uh, to guard G- Ganon, so you have to do a boss rush, and Ganon starts with full health. Oh, so yeah. of, not the beasts themselves, but the uh, but the corruption, like the yes. like the corruption, the, yes. the blights, yes. yeah. Wow, um, that, that is crazy. Because if you haven't done those individual beasts, you're probably not powered up that much. Like if you're if you're doing a rush for it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of the tough. cool things this game does as far as like allowing the player to determine difficulty. Uh huh. You know, I imagine that like, uh, you know, it's like a Lobos thing. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, like how far yeah. can you get? And you you since because you have limited durability, like you can't do a wooden spoon. Right. You know, version right. of this game, like, you know, the stick weapon, which does the least damage, will break in one hit on Ganon, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if uh, it almost allows you to kind of so you, I imagine speedruns do go and find a couple of durable weapons and then go do exactly that. Yeah. You know, rather yeah. than going and fighting the beast and going you know, through those cutscenes and stuff. I imagine that's still quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
the uh, and that's the kind of boss fights. We'll talk about those in detail uh, next time. One real quick thing I want to say, and this is kind of a nitpick, and I feel like I'm, I'm being nitpicky, but I wish these had a different visual theme inside as well. Yeah. The same way the shrines do. I think that these also run together for me, the interiors. Like a lot of times they yeah. have a specific kind of central gimmick to them. And I enjoyed my time with all of them. Like I think all four of them are really like pretty fun mm-hmm. um, dungeons. I just wish that they were visually a little bit spicier. Yeah. You know, um, that sounds like maybe in kind of whiny, but I just, that's something that even in uh, 3D Zelda games, I don't like that much. The dungeons feel really different. Yeah. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the water dungeon feels very different than like, you know, the fire dungeon or what have you. Yeah, appreciably different theming. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I missed that a little bit. But these are actually, I think these are pretty good dungeons. And I like the uh, spectacle and the approaches to these are fun. Oh, yeah. Um, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Like actually getting into them, you know, a lot of times it's not actually particularly hard, but it looks cool. Like it, it there's a sense of scale that's really pretty satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy that we left this system for the last because this is a real defining one uh, for the game. There was no real other place to put it, but we need to talk about the crafting. Yeah. Yep. And then we'll talk about the craft. Like um, the, the movie? Yeah, the Fruza Balk film. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this this is big. Um, you know, this game is, is full of plants and animals uh, that are free for the taking. You can uh, kill any animal you see uh-huh. and harvest its meat, and you can uh, collect any insect you want. You can harvest monster parts, etc., and there is a robust cooking system. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when I said that the Guardians kind of atonal music is one of my favorite uh, pieces of sound design in game, uh, this game is also, also it's going to take two of those slots because that little uh, ascending jingle when you throw those ingredients into the pot. As it's like, oh, oh man, like I haven't mixed these together before. This is going to turn out good. Da-da! Here it is, mm. like just like that anticipation of like, okay, I'm gonna see something new, see something new. Like I don't know, like, that that is a really valuable piece of feedback that like gave me a Pavlovian yeah. response every time. I like the little graphic of Link as you're filling his arms with different things to throw in the pot, <laughs> and his arms keep popping out as he's trying to hold whatever you throw in. I thought it was kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's super cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and this is uh, you'll spend a lot of like you don't have to cook in the game at all, but you will spend a lot of time with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this game oh, that yeah. is how you heal uh in the game and you can carry you know you're going to be tripping over food even if you never hunt or purposely seek it out you'll find lots of food in the wild um cooking it increases its benefits so you can either give uh it will heal for more hearts or it will have a special kind of effect so it will give you a status buff uh for a time or make you immune to weather conditions um give you bonus armor complete you know full heal things like that yeah um, yeah. and this is something like, I, yeah, yes. Yep. Um, and I, and if you, you know, I, I, I like the cooking part of this a lot too. I wish I could mass cook mm-hmm. in it. Cause it, it like a lot yeah. of things in the game, like it just near the end, I got sick of waiting for it. You know, like I, I was really, really fun at first to experiment with recipes because it was cute. But like, once I knew, like I've got a bunch of stamina shroom shrooms and a bunch of, you know, uh, rare like meat. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's going to uh, whatever the thing is. I can't remember the quality that makes it a full heal. Um, it's either hearty or vital or something like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just had a bunch of those and I just wanted to cook a bunch of them to make healing potions to like move on from it. You know, like it's helped so much with the pacing early on when I liked cooking and liked kind of taking a chill out moment. Yeah. And then that eventually died for me and I wanted it to move quicker. Yeah. Especially you after know? you have explored all the different um, combinations of the ingredients that you're going to lean on. 
most of the time? Yeah. You know, and, and it's not, you're not going to explore all of them, you know, but you're going to explore all of the ones that like, okay, I've got some standby meals. Yeah. You know, I never yeah, wanted to yeah. farm a critter or farm a, uh, a food ingredient, you know, like I don't, I don't farm in games if I can help it. Um, so I just, you know, it's like, okay, well, I've got a, a whole bunch of apples and a whole bunch of fish, like just fucking <laughs> make, make roots. Yeah. <laughs> just, I wish we could dump all of these into them together. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be able to like, uh, like I do in real life, you know, when I had a CSA and we just put all of the things into a pot and then just freeze parts of it, you know, make a <laughs> vegetable soup, Yep. you know? Um, but it is, it is really, really fun at first. And there's an amazing amount of variety to it. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people who, again, like it feels like, like kind of like the photography part where it's just something that I understand people who really love it, mm -hmm. you know, just the joy of like experimenting with food to get different recipes. Yeah. Uh, you know, is, is really, really fun, but it doesn't, it's kind of not for me. Yeah. I, yeah. I really enjoyed this. I liked looking at the ingredients and thinking, I wonder, like, I, I have a rough idea of what might come out if I mix these together. I just want to see if it's accounted for. Uh, most of the time, like 80% of the time it was, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you when you add get fruit to this, it'll certain combination. Mm -hmm. Hunting fish by throwing bombs in water is redneck <laughs> and fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bubble, bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I like that. I like that you could you could do all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. there's also this other. In addition to making food, you can make uh, potions, which is yeah. when you take uh, monster parts and then insects uh, or small creatures and put them together. And those are no healing, but just the effects. Right. Yeah. Uh, usually more yeah. potent than the food that would accomplish the same thing. Yeah. Um, and all those rare things that you can use for upgrades. If you're not using them for upgrades, you can use them for this as well. So like. If I have like a Hinox nail um, that I don't want to sew into my jacket, I can, you know, put drink it mm -hmm. and, and that will be gross, yeah. but also yes. <laughs> give me you know, additional stamina. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's a super neat system. Um, I like that. One of the things I do like about it, and again, this is kind of for the first half of the game, more of a factor is that it's limited by when you have a, a campfire. Yep. So some of my favorite memories of this are not having a cook pot, <laughs> being out in the, uh, like the snow in the wilderness and, looking at my, you know, well, I've got seven apples, you know, and I've got six mushrooms. Um, I need to get as much out of these as I can. And like leaving them next to the fire to kind of cook them, mm -hmm. you know, I can't make a mm -hmm. dish, but I can make them a little bit more nutritious, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> Setting down the, uh, the flint and the wood and then attacking it with a metal weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's not being able to do the full cook, right. you know, like having that kind of separated out by certain areas where you can actually resupply mm -hmm. and that helps really a lot with pace. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this would be a good time. We didn't really talk about this earlier, but a good time just to briefly mention, I know we're running a little bit longer than we wanted to for, for this first episode, but the, um, the fact that you can heal at any time, like the healing system is just, you open your inventory, freeze time and eat uh -huh. yeah. uh, in this, yeah. which, which does make, um, you know, I know other people who have had a bigger problem with this. I'm actually happy they made this, this easy. It does undercut a little bit of that difficulty though. Yeah, like the game oh, yeah. does a thing where it feels harder than it is for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just if I just stayed calm and remembered that I could like, I have apples for days. Like I can just <laughs> eat apples. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Then I it, it would made a lot of those kind of rough edges go by a little bit smoother. Yeah. No, I liked it. I thought it was a good system because if you get yourself in over your head, you don't have to just turn around and say, oh, "I got to load a save or go back to here." Mm -hmm. You can just kind of over resource the situation go through too many weapons and too many, you know, too much material. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, is it going to hurt you? And it keeps you moving in the game. Yeah. yeah. 
just a it feels a little bit it has the potential to be unsatisfying but you do run into those situations that i know you like and you know you gary like in games where it's like well i've got these mines so i'm gonna try and take out this death claw let's just see if this yeah. happens right yes. like i have yes. enough buffs and i'm sure that if i combine them at the right time in the right order i can i can survive a situation that i have no right surviving yeah 100 yeah. like it, it allows you to punch above your weight class yeah. which is something i love yeah. i love in games and I, I wasn't bringing that up as a criticism. I wanted to address it, though, because it's a popular criticism yeah. of the game. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah. it's worth talking about. I think that this is a consideration that is, uh, in this case, the illusion of difficulty is actually more valuable than the actual difficulty would have been. Mm -hmm. If you would yeah. have had, like, Estus in this game, um, I wouldn't have gained anything. And I wouldn't have spent as much time exploring. I wouldn't have spent as much time just being out in the world, which is the game's strength. Right. You know, I maybe would have... The, I would have had to have gotten better at the combat and maybe would have gotten a little bit more depth and richness from that. Mm -hmm. But that would not have been a good trade, Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're mentioning sort of aside systems, we, we mentioned a little bit. But one thing that's a little fan servicey in the game, but I find very fun and rewarding, is the costume slash armor sets. <laughs> um, have you guys, I mean, you every Zelda game basically has a an homage armor set in the game. Oh, especially in the Whether DLC, it, like when you do the scavenger oh, yeah. hunts. Yeah, yeah, the DLC, or if you use the Amiibos, it is fun to be like, no, no, I want um, you know, Wind Waker armor, not, and it's real. It's a fun thing to add to the game. Mm -hmm. It kind of gives you something to collect that makes it rewarding. Cosplay yeah. links throughout the ages. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah the the fashion souls is is really on point, and the fact that you yeah. can upgrade every bit of armor and that. Armor's not, uh, you know, it's super durable. You know, it's not, uh, it doesn't degrade. Uh, means that yeah. you have a lot of freedom with that. Yeah, and a lot of incentive to engage the system. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Like, I like that stuff too. Um, we've talked about Amiibos a couple times. This game has Amiibo functionality, uh, where if you use an Amiibo on it, um, it will drop a treasure chest. And if it's a specific Zelda one, you'll get kind of better stuff. Yeah. So yeah. there's a little bit of that, like, pay to win aspect to that. Like, if you have the thing, you definitely have an advantage, but it's such a mild advantage that I don't, think it matters yeah like you get a pona um or you can uh get a little uh wolf link to follow you around yeah some of them are purely cosmetic and some of them are just like drops a treasure chest with a sword in it and you can do it once a day yeah so you want to grind are you it guys you can are you guys familiar with the wolf link system no <laughs> what okay so wolf link actually um i believe it's in uh twilight princess in the U wii u version there's a dungeon, and I and I never engage with the system in the game itself, where you can essentially go down, fight through a series of dungeons, and strengthen Wolf Link. If you have an amiibo that has that ability, the you you can get Wolf Link, and his he will be more powerful if you have a Wolf Link amiibo that's been put through that system. <laughs> so you level oh, up your amiibo. So you can, yeah, you can, and of course, being the clever person I am who wasn't going to engage in that system, I purchased on a major website <laughs> a pre-built-up Wolf Link, and um, and so my Wolf Link could kick your Wolf Link's butt. <laughs> it's pretty fun because you can bring in Wolf Link and he'll follow you around and he'll fight and he'll eventually die and then you can re bring him back. I think the next day. I mean, it's. I know it's a pay-to-win system, but just from a pure fun system, it's cool that if you're going to create something like that or people are going to go buy something, give them some incentive to do it. And it's a cool system. Yeah. You know, that's really clever, too, because, like, the yeah. first person who figured that out, you know, <laughs> that's pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got, I've got a, a very meager Amiibo collection, but none of them are Breath of the Wild Amiibos. So I didn't, uh, didn't get anything special. I didn't start collecting, I think – 
I think I have every every except for maybe one. I have every Zelda amiibo, hmm. including like Sheik the fighter and um, you know things like that. Some that are kind of not directly Zelda related. Yeah, there, there I, was a run on the uh, the Breath of the Wild ones for a while. Uh, they were yeah, they were, they were hard to find. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I won't let an amiibo cross my cross my doorstep. Not because I look down on them. I understand the impulse. I just know that you get one, and that's a curiosity. Once you have two, that's a collection, a collection. and then yeah, and then it starts. And then it I, starts. I've hidden several amiibos in your house last time God I was there. Damn it, each Gary. Place more deviously hit than one. So yeah, each amiibo will lead to a clue. So, yeah, um, this Luigi is behind my Luigi Luigi machine internet capable Packard from. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was, a, that was right. a bit of a walk. E machine. Um, yeah, uh, we've been recording for a while. And we got time to go, so I'm I'm going to take those walks, man. All right. Yeah. Um. The uh. So before we move on, are there any other major like system stuff we want to talk about? Because we we'll kind of do development and then get into the story in the next episode. Yes. Um. Anything? Anything? I know there are things we probably missed. Um, there's, I, there's I'm a sure there are, but we've been pretty thorough. I think. Yeah. There's like little little um you know things you get like like shield surfing. You know, there's a lot of like little physics kind of tricks you can do yeah like stuff that will allude to in like tool tips and and things yeah yeah that are more like easter eggs than anything right Right. like shield surfing was never actually that useful it was just really fun that i could do it yeah you know um there are things like that but i think that we covered most of most of those systems yeah i I accounted for the ones that i really engage with yeah um let's talk about uh kind of the development of this yeah so this was produced by ag aonuma um who has been a long time Director and producer for the Zelda series writ large, uh, and he was inspired by how well A Link Between Worlds was received, so he wanted to kind of set out to further reinvent Zelda with this with this entry. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this was delayed for a while after they had kind of made that decision um, because they were trying to get this physics engine to work. And part of that delay was also when they were kind of doing the developing. Like, if you look at um, one of the things about the, the guide for this game, mm-hmm. which is actually a really good game guide— is they have uh, some kind of essays forwards from the creators in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And they talk mm-hmm. about how long this process was of trying to figure out how to re reinvent Zelda, you know? So this was in development for a very long time. Like even outside of that specific delay, this had a lot of thought and a lot of time put into like, what, how do we do this? You know, what does that mean to, to re reinvent this yeah. kind of standard thing? And they had a couple of like half starts when they were, bringing something out to like e3 and saying like yeah this may be the new zelda like you know it's physics based so you can like roll a bomb over to an enemy and the motion controls didn't work so people were like new zelda's garbage and then they would go back to the drawing board yes um yeah because you know that physics engine just kind of wasn't working um and this originally was going to just be a wii u game and like imagine that world right (laughs) you know if this didn't get delayed to go onto the switch like this would have been like the reason to own a wii u Uh uh-huh you know like i like my wii u but it's not uh it doesn't have anything of this kind of caliber as far as a killer app i mean if you if you don't have the money for a switch then this is like it would be a killer app for the wii u it came out for the wii u yeah no no, i'm just saying if it was exclusive to it oh yeah you know like it is uh it would be the you know if if this didn't exist, the Wii U doesn't have something like that. Mm-hmm. That is an exclusive, you know, must-own thing. Right, He's got right. a bunch of games that are really good. Like, I, I like my Wii U, but nothing of this caliber. Right. Yeah. So, like, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, but the fact that this was a launch game for the Switch got a lot of people, you know, really, really interested in getting a hold of one of these things and, you know, listen to literally any other show or any other episode of this show 
uh, for us to glow about how good the switch is and how neatly it fits into our lives. So yeah, um, it is, it, it is a good thing that they have moved switches and Zelda played a role in that. Yeah. Um, this game kind of takes a, kind of starts over with, with story and theme stuff. Like there are a lot of kind of callbacks and nods to, you know, Zelda mythology, but it doesn't go nuts with it and doesn't go nuts with kind of like timeline or continuity. Um, it also doesn't, and this is something that we'll talk about more in the next episode and is a big part of my wrap up. But like, for the most part, this is the least talky Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I read in an interview is that initially they had a, um, like a, a, a character, like a side oh, character. The, that... the Sheikah Slate was going to talk. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> throw, throw me off a mountain. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Take me in an elevator up to the world's highest point and just push me off because that would have ruined this game. Yeah. Like, like no, no joke, like no exaggeration. If everything else was the same and all the time you had someone talking to you, like this would have lost so much of what makes it special. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, my biggest piece of contention, like the thing, the reason why I think this is like an A minus, like I, I love this game is when those kind of plot and character moments do kind of come back into the game. Mm-hmm. I wish they had gone even further with this. Like they went as far as they've ever gone with Zelda to make uh, since the first one in making this a lonesome exploratory experience and making yeah. it feel really kind of desperate. And I love that. Like that is a huge move in the right direction, you know, and I wish they, they completely nailed it, you know, and they just, they, they almost did, but that was a big, that was a big difference. Like not kind of concentrating on that lore aspect that like Zelda has gotten really up its ass with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, um, they they didn't set out like, oh, this is where it fits in the timeline or whatever. And in fact, the, yeah. I think Anuma has come out and said, like, I, I, have, I get panic attacks when I think about somebody expecting us to put this in a timeline. Like, yeah, I, I, I understand that's a fun hobby for some people, but like yeah. I do not get and I, I no. you know, but I don't in, think it's helpful. But instead, like the callbacks that are in here, you know, are mostly to the first game, uh, but they are functional and they are subtle enough, I think, to work. You know, you have enemies uh, that, may, that make new appearances. Uh, there's a really, if you go at, at the highest mountain in the in the game is named after Satori Iwata. Mm-hmm. It's like Satori's yeah. Point or whatever. And you go up there and, like, you find the only tree that, the, the only tree other than the Deku tree that's in bloom in the game as, like, a like a tribute to him. Like, they're, you know, the, the, the stuff that is, you know, kind of, like, gushy or referencing other stuff about Zelda or Nintendo history is you know either hidden away or subtle and tasteful or music locations there'll be locations where you'll recognize it yeah there's the temple of time things like that where you kind of like oh, okay well that's that's appropriate yeah 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 what they what they do with that stuff i think is all actually really good yeah. i just wish it all came across like that like here are the ruins <laughs> of the temple of time here here are this town here's music yeah. you know um what they do very you know it's very very good um this is the first uh, zelda game that has voice acted cutscenes mm-hmm. in it um so character characters talk which i'll I, i'm gonna have talk about next episode um there is a season pass for dlc which has a bunch of kind of scavenger hunt quest um a challenge dungeon and a side story called the champion's ballad um i have this but have not dipped into it yeah so. i did a couple of the scavenger hunts to get like masks and things but that's about it champion's ballad is is good if um it's it adds enough content to probably be the equivalent of two thirds if you if you consider the actual going to the divine beasts and it's about two of those. It's okay. a substantial okay. amount of content. It's worthwhile. You get a motorcycle at the end. Sweet. Um, so there's that. <laughs> but it's worth engaging with. If, if you if you have any love and coming back to the game, it's worth it's worth doing. 
I'm ready to do that now. I, I think I, yeah. uh, I, I definitely overindulged at the buffet getting it done. Yeah. I'm ready to go back to it for the champions ballad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that as well. Yeah. Um, this game is one of the most critically lauded games we've ever done for the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All of 2017 this... was hype for it. There's a little bit of backlash now. Most of people who just don't feel it. Uh, but yeah, like this is, you know, the goatee winner by trophy numbers for 2017. There was a point in time in which this game had an over 100% install base. If you guys recall that shortly after the game came out, there was a point where there was like 1 million switches and 1.2 or some, I'm throwing out a number, but uh-huh. you know, versions of the game sold. I understand how that happened. I'm sure there's a lot of people that walked into stores and said, I can get the game. I can't get the system yet. Well, I'll at least get what I can get, but it's yeah. still an amazing accomplishment for a game that didn't come packed packed into the box. <laughs> right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only, Even, oh, you know, good. Or in, in terms of sales, so, like, definitely that. And then also just the, that critical conception, like you said, Cole, like, 2017 was all of this and Nier Automata mm-hmm. were, like, the yeah. two two bigger, big big winners. I haven't played that game. I'm looking forward to it yeah. uh, as well. But it, it became a thing where it just, like, everyone was talking about this for the entire kind of month game of the year talk mm-hmm. yeah. zone that we yeah. were in. And, it, like, this was the word on everyone's lips. Yeah. Um, yeah, and deservedly so. Like, it is an amazing game. Yep. Yeah. And we have no idea what Nintendo's going to do next. They're probably, you know, there'll probably be a few years. Um, we don't have a, 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 a portable Zelda that we're going to be waiting for in between because, well, they, they, they don't cross them streams. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's hard. It would be hard to believe that they wouldn't take a look at this and try to recreate this in some way or to, you know, bring the most successful, uh, successful elements forward. Right. They did so much to build this framework. I can't believe they wouldn't use it again yeah. to do something with it. Um, I, I could see that going wrong. I could see some disadvantages of that. But if they could, if Ocarina of Time could have a Majora's Mask, I think they could do that's, something like that here. If they could do a dark yeah, universe, just about to say. Be, beat still yeah, my yeah. heart. Oh my God, yeah. the Majora's yeah. Mask for Breath of the Wild. John, I want, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want this engine with that that tone and darkness so badly. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just, I want to feel scared and be around people that have a sense of stakes, which I don't think I had in this game, uh-huh. you know, like narratively. But with this yeah. mechanically, so yeah. badly, <laughs> you know, s- stop being happy, Hyrule villagers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need you to be sad because you're telling me that you should be. You're telling me that things are dangerous. Yeah. Like, give me a game with a gigantic fucking blood moon, like, floating over it so yeah. characters will actually act reasonably <laughs> instead of, like, nothing's real. <laughs> You know? If I act reasonably, I mean panic and make some very hasty decisions. <laughs> yes, yeah, because in this game, they are presented as if they have a blood moon in the center of the continent that's yeah. going to explode in a given moment, and nobody gives a shit. Yeah, and it drives me. Nuts. Yeah, like, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 like that classic country song. Country song goes, uh, "Live like there's a blood moon." Yeah, yeah. I wish yeah. they lived like there's a blood moon. So that's it for the first episode uh, on systems. Next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of what you have to do in the, the central plot and some talk about side quests and stuff. Um, you know, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you, John. Yes. Uh, who will also be joining us for the next episode. Uh, yeah. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, appreciate this. Yep. Really, thank- really appreciate it. Thank you for your support. Um, thank you for supporting Duckstream like you did. Uh, yeah, of you, 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 you swooped in and brought us up to our goal, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, huge deal. Really, really big deal. Um, John is on this episode uh, because he is a patron uh, patron of ours. Uh, he supported us at patreon.com slash duckdtv. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do so, uh, you get a couple of different things. You can get some bonus episodes. You can dictate episodes that we do. But one of the things you can get are thanks. 
Uh, so we'd like to say thanks to a couple of people who support us, starting out with Gregory Kimball. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, hey, Sung Che. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Benjamin Combi. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate the Pokemon from which you were named after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Pokemon from which you derive your name. Yes. Um, Derek Sorensen. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. And thanks to uh, Pickle Factory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really do appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Um, and again, if you'd like to join them, uh, that is at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Yes. Um, and we have more, we have miles to go before we sleep. So I don't want to stretch out this admin for too terribly long. If you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or tell your friends, we would appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, John, is there anywhere, uh, people online where you want people online to find you? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm J D H U R S T. Or if you want to see my posts from pictures that I've taken in the game, I've got the Twitter handle of vain link v-a-i-n-l-i-n-k if you want to see some pictures of yeah oh that's right because you can uh, it's, it's got a selfie feature right you can put a you can put link in the frame mm-hmm. well selfies and any pictures you take uh, the easiest way for me to get them off the screen was to just send them out on twitter and i didn't want to start randomly sending out tweets on my normal oh account. yeah yeah <laughs> so i made up my own account i was trying to come up with a name and i thought vain link seemed appropriate yeah, vain link is really good that's good yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah everyone should check that out um, you know, cause there are a lot of beautiful vistas. Um, yeah. Uh, do we, is that, I think that's everything. Think so. Yep. Um, so thanks everybody for listening. Thank you again, John. And we'll be back next week to talk about, uh, what you actually do. Yeah. In uh, breath of the wild. <laughs>